Shut up and sit down. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we're going to plot something Stargate-ish. Whatever the fuck that means. Ha! (laughs) (laughs) Well, when we were talking about wanting to plot tonight... um, Kira says, let's do something stargate But the thing is, we have a bunch of like plot drifts we'd thought up ahead of time. I think we've exhausted all, all of our Stargate plot drifts. And I said, well, just call it that. <laughs> just, just call it plot plot something stargate <laughs> Let's not get specific. We only, we, we only made the decision like 20 minutes in advance. So it's not like we're going to have a lot of time to get our thoughts together. <laughs> but I'll talk about one of my favorite stories in... Um, in Stargate. And it is Total Recall by Darkmoor and C.A. Pearson. And it is a stunning piece of work where John touches an ancient piece of technology and remembers um, that he's actually an ancient. And it is gorgeous. Gorgeous, 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 gorgeous. Uh, I remember when they first um, were getting ready to put it out, they put out a freaking trailer on YouTube. And I was <laughs> like, girls, you're so extra. I can't wait. <laughs> this is great. I can't wait. And it did not disappoint. I mean, from moment one, it was just like amazing. Um, then there was another one. And I think it could be... Um, Turtle Recall is also on AO3. It might be a better link. A more curated experience. Um, where John and Rodney are they're not I mean it it's saturated with like Sentinel and Guide, but they're not Sentinel and Guide. They're like the reincarnates. They're they're reincarnates. Who wrote that? Who wrote the Sentinel? I mean, I mean, who wrote the one where John and Rodney are re, um, reincarnates and they recognize each other in? Um... I thought Lady Holder did. No, no. If she did, I just lost all my best friend cred. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just went from like a hundred to zero. <laughs> Hmm. Yes, one of their names starts with an A, Kaya. Um, it's um, it's actually uh, um, it's called yeah, it's called Reincarnates. It's also by C. A. Pearson and Darkmore. <laughs> Duh. Um, this is the one with the actual fan vid. Um, yeah, this is the one that has the fan vid for the first story. I got. Against all odds. Um, <clears throat> but the reincarnates is is outstanding. And one of the things I liked about this particular AU. Is that everybody knows about reincarnates. But they're like. No one expects. Them to happen until they do. And then here's John and Rodney. Who are reincarnated. Um, and it's just amazing. I love it. But I also love Total Recall. Which is also written. I really do believe by C.R. Um, um, C.A. Pearson and Dartmoor, where John re- remembers being an ancient. So I, you know, we actually did a podcast a long time ago um, where John was an ancient, and we like it's like a trope drift or a plot drift. 
I mean, yeah, I, I don't remember which it was. It was, I think it was before we started doing the trope drifts. It might have been a plot drift because I know I did one like way, way back where I plotted. Yeah, one. Lady Holders is called And Again. Um, and he, he is a reincarnated ancient Lady Holder. Nope. Deascended. Okay, okay. I need to read that again. I haven't read it lately. Um, but it's, you know, all these ideas kind of center around John, except for the reincarnates, where both, where both John and Rodney are reincarnates. Um, which is really interesting about the concept of reincarnates in that particular series is that I don't think they're always ancients. Sometimes they're just other people who re who are reincarnating, and they have um, powers and abilities that are attached to it, and like some greater destiny. It's really interesting. It doesn't uh, look like they put. Um, it doesn't look like they put Total Recall on. On. Um, Am I confusing? To um, Total Recall. No, I don't think so. Oh, apparently it's on Wraithbait. Uh, okay. Um, but I, it's interesting that they didn't put that one over on... I looked under both authors, and I'm not finding total... Oh, wait a minute. Okay, it doesn't look like it's under... Oh, it's the name of the series. Okay. I have a link for Wraithbait if we can't find one for AO3. Are you hearing me? Hello. If it's got a lock on it on AO3, that means you have to be logged in to read it. Yes. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, because I said a couple times that I found it. It's it's oh, name okay. the, it's name of the series. It's not the name of the individual story. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Um, I didn't hear those. But my thing is good. Um. So somebody mentioned up above. Um, like maybe plotting something time travelish but i don't we've done a lot of time travel discussions lately um so maybe if we if we organically circle back to that we could plot something time travelish but let's see if how about we talk about like since we don't have a specific lane here what are some of our favorite tropes in stargate i love um, the one where john's an ancient but i hate um unanchoring him from his family um Although I do, I'm really enamored with that idea of John and his son being um, in stasis on Atlantis as the Guardians. And we talked about that in the plot drift. Um, uh, and I honestly have not seen a lot of Rodney as an ancient. It's interesting. And it explains some stuff because they're arrogant. He's arrogant. <laughs> yeah. I think that I really dug deep on the sentient Atlantis concept. Well, in the case of Theseus, it'd be sapient, but um... Um... How about off-world shenanigans? I always have a real a, a real fondness for stories where things go weird off-world. <laughs> in whatever way in whatever way you could take that it could be bizarre marriage right it could be a little too much partying I just I don't know why but I particularly I mean because part of that's like the uh, half the allure of the show right is stuff happens off world right stuff that cannot possibly be happening on our planet um, one of my favorite works in progress for Stargate is the gift um, 
um, and it's John and Rodney go off world to participate in what they believe is just like this standard ritual and they come back with a baby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, they come back with a baby. Let's plot that. They come back with a baby because <laughs> however it happens, John and Rodney come back to the city with a baby. I, it could, it could be in them or it could be in their arms. I don't care which. <laughs> My favorite in them, it would be surrogate by um, seeker geek. Seeker geek. Yeah. Uh, great story. If you've never read it, John um, encounters an ancient piece of technology and does McKay a solid. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he really does. Here's your, here's your baby, Rodney. <laughs> Babies. I think there are two. Are there? I've only read it once, so. I think it's um, a boy and a girl. Yeah. There's, there's not a ton of, um, I don't think. Anyway, there's not a ton of that I know of um, M. Preg and Star Stargate franchise in general. Um. Yeah, in Stargate, it's like Keller is mostly just disappointed that it's not her. Because Rodney's in an accident when he's exposed to radiation and it makes him infertile. Uh, so when John encounters this machine, he had um, Rodney had bled on something that John was carrying on the mission and he used. Rodney's blood to make the babies and during one of the exams Keller asks him you know um, why it wasn't her and John said he didn't have time that if there wasn't enough time to get her because the machine wasn't going to last that long yeah I remember that that he had to, he had like a he had like a fraction of a second well not literally but like a fraction you know just just a minute to make a decision and, and it was um, either do it now or or it never happens. Right. So it was, you know, it was very well done. Yeah, the gift is my story that I'm writing where John and Rodney participate in a ritual off world. And when they come back to complete the ritual, the machine spits out a baby that the villagers are going to um uh sacrifice. And John's got a problem with that. <laughs> but I mean he does. I think the most interesting way for them to get a baby would be like um, the ascension. Like what if like what if Daniel Jackson has <laughs> ascended for like the fifth time <laughs> and he's they're like you know what no no, we're not keeping you, but it's obvious we can't send you back down there. <laughs> and here are John and Rodney in the temple. And some ancient hussy shows up and says, <sighs> and just shoves this baby at John or Rodney. Rodney. And Rodney's like, who the hell is this? And she's like, it's Daniel Jackson. <laughs> and she leaves. <laughs> And what are they, well, but in that case, John and Rodney, I don't think get a baby. I think Jack O'Neill gets a no, baby. <laughs> Jack O'Neill gets a baby. I think at the very least, he, he'd either end up with Jack O'Neill or Sam Carter because Daniel Jackson doesn't have any living family except for that old man living with the giant aliens. Um, yeah, the giant aliens and the crystal skull. The giant aliens. <laughs> um, I've actually seen versions where both Chaya and and that chick in the sanctuary, not in the same story, um, bring John a baby. 
Like, like, like the chick in the sanctuary. What was her name? Um, what was her name? She like was tear. She was pregnant when she ascended, and so the baby isn't ascended. So when it's time for the baby to be born, she like takes human form and gives the baby to John. Mm. I hadn't revisited that plot drift that we did in like a again like forever in forever. But I think at the end of well, I I remember the one of the major plot device was that. Um, when John ascends, that he makes all of he takes the ancient out of all of the wraith, but that that would just leave a bunch of ancients, and so they de-age them to babies. Yeah, and he sprinkles them around the the universe. He sprinkles them, yeah, and he sprinkles them around the universe, and and they keep one, and it's Todd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, keep Todd. And Ronnie's like, "You're not calling our kid Todd, but it's Todd. It's literally Todd. It's literally Todd." <laughs> I can't believe you kept him out of all of them. He's my favorite, Rodney. <laughs> that makes no sense. <laughs> and they can't tell anybody, um, you know, they can't tell anybody that it's that it's the former wraith. They just tell them that they're ancients because that's what they are at that point. They're ancients, and and you know, we're we're reseeding the galaxy with ancients, and we we just can't do it all on our planet. Here's millions of them, and they take some of them off to the Milky Way and have some babies. And John comes home with one, and Rodney's like, "You kept Todd? No, you can't. <laughs> Todd, really? It's, no, it's literally Todd." <laughs> and he'd be like, "Well, would you rather I kept Michael?" <laughs> <laughs> Hell no. What about Steve? <laughs> they would be predominantly male children. Yeah, you're right. Very precious few female children. Maybe John should bring home a girl too. <laughs> now that could be a depressing way to get babies. Ugh. Oh, I'm, I'm freaking myself out. Okay, so... um <laughs> This is so gross. Okay. Mm. No, I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna say that out loud. But anyway, okay. so let's let's say that they, um, um, for whatever reason, they're on a they're on a wraith hive, right? And they're trying to rescue some people who had been called, and they're gonna blow this thing up. And they find most of the people have already been consumed, um, except for this cache of babies. Who I guess could be like, I don't know, they've been holding them as dessert, or maybe they're not enough <gasps> to do a meal, or they're like a delicacy or something, babies. I, I'm sorry, it's it's horrifying, but Wraith eat people, okay? So I mean, yeah, it, it makes sense. I know, it's gross, it's horrifying. I I can't excuse my own brain sometimes. But anyway, um, and so they have like a bunch of babies that it's like maybe all that's left of these people who were called and like the entire bring, village. Then they bring them, they bring them back to Atlantis because what else are they going to do except kill the wraith with prejudice at that point and bring the babies home. Well, that's true. They could be, they could be that they don't, they don't kill babies because they use them as <sighs> feedstock. <laughs> like, that actually wouldn't be a good choice if if they're going to get feedstock. Um, you know, logically, I think they'd pick teenagers, um, young enough to breed but old enough to, to fend for themselves. 
Just saying. Because they would have to take care of babies. And and babies die without care. without And not just feeding. They have to be touched and held and interacted with. Babies can fail to thrive. So they can't just leave them in a... In a... Oh, Kaya. Well, that's true. And that could that actually could be why they have the babies segregated. Is because if, if you go... Now, see, I typically think that, you know, an adult has adult is bigger it conceivably has more life energy but if it's literally years of life that they're taking a baby would have more so they could be saving them for the queen i'm freaking myself out anyway it's kind of like a horror novel in the making except it'd only be like in the first chapter because they'd rescue the babies and they would bring all the babies back to atlantis and then there'd be baby shenanigans and it's not exactly fluff bingo or anything, but it's it's baby shenanigans, which I mean, like how many babies? Well, let's say they called an entire planet. I don't know how many how many babies and then. And there were only several hundred of Thosians. right? Depending on the size, I mean, you're not talking about culling the size of the planet Earth. There is no population in Pegasus like that. I mean, I think no, the no, no. I probably have the biggest um, population outside of what was Satita. Um. Oh. What if they are Satidan babies? What if they've been in? Um, maybe they're maybe they're in um, stasis. They're little stasis pods. Little Satine babies. Hmm. Yeah, something like that. Six or seven years before before the start of the show, or before season two, anyway. Because um, I think when they in, in runner they had set that time frame that he'd been on the run for whatever that number of. There years could just was. be two or three left, um, and maybe they're still in the clothes they were taken in, and Ronan recognizes the clothing. Not like personally recognizing in that he's he knows one of these children, but that they're wearing clothes like would have come from his world. Well, you could Maybe even have one, like two or three left. You could even have one related to Ronan um, that he recognizes. Recognizes. He could. Um. Maybe they even kept that baby because he, he was related to Ronan, and Ronan was a very successful runner. So you could have <clears throat> John Rodney come back to Atlantis with a bunch of babies, Satine babies. That could be a real moment for Ronan. I doubt the Wraith kept records of where they got the babies from or anything. I imagine they just, you know, they cold. They cold and then they as they're pulling these these their food out of these culling um beams, they start separating out the old, the young, and the infant. And the infants end up in stasis, like someone said earlier, for their queen. Because I imagine the queen doesn't hunt. Now, see, one of the things I no, I would think not. Now, I I wouldn't put anything uglier than eating people into the story that that they do with babies. 
because yeah, I've just, seen those less slave shit in Stargate. I wouldn't touch it with a ten foot pole. No, not no, because it, because even if they save these babies from that fate, it it's implicit that it's happening to other babies. So I think you can make the leap if you just stop and think about it that the the wraith wouldn't hesitate to eat a baby, and they're eating people, so they're going to eat a baby. That's just that's just the logic of food source, right? Right? It's ugly. We may not like it. It makes us squeamish. But when we meet a queen for the first time, she has a dining table. Yeah. I'm just saying. She's not hunting for food. Food's being brought to her. Yeah, exactly. So, and what kind of meal would sit in front of her on a table? Right, exactly. So I'm just saying that putting something in when you say, okay, so implicitly, if I, if I write, were to write a story like that and they say, hey, implicitly... Um, implicitly, um, what's it called? Uh, babies are being eaten by the wraith. Yes, implicitly they are. So fine, because that's obvious. They're eating babies. That's elsewhere. implicit in canon. Right. I agree. It is implicit in canon. But when you put in an element like they keep babies to become like little slave pets, no, because that means that implicitly there are children in that circumstance in canon that they're not able to address. And that's just like an ugly background element that I would. And it would also mean that that in the hives that they've already destroyed, that they probably killed many children. Yeah, and I just wouldn't, I wouldn't put something like that. So, so I have to be really careful when you put in elements that you think about what you're implicitly saying about what is going on in that universe. And it makes it like even uglier that <laughs> Elizabeth would negotiate for them to have feeding grounds. I would think that, yeah, honestly, that as far as the culling beam goes, that someone would be stored in the culling beam as long as the culling beam had, had power. Um, so as long as those those crystals are empowered, it seems to me like or and intact, it would seem like that they were um that they would so, be actually they could I mean, they, they could be taking the crystals out of the darts when they have plenty of food and putting the crystals into like a an array that powers them to keep them people basically stored. And um they could because uh, as big as a hive is, they could not keep enough food. In those little web things that we see them sell, thing. Well, you know, there's but there's cells, but there's also like little cubbies around the ship that because Ronan and Rodney end up in them, or they like they've been like like a spider. <laughs> they've been yeah, kind of webbed in. But I, I interpret those as being like we're going to need you for food soon. Right. Um, you're on-demand snacks as opposed to future food stores. So, but they couldn't keep enough there to actually feed their whole hive. Right. So what if they, but what, okay, so you know my plot for November. Mm -hmm. That could be one of the things that, that he, he descends with is the information about. But I would think that all these people that are like stored in crystals. Implicit knowledge that the wraith are actually purposefully targeting small children and babies to feed their queens. Yeah, I yeah, definitely. definitely. So that that's the kind of information that was like known, like fully known would be like by people in Pegasus, but I could see it not sinking into the heads of the people on the expedition. And once that's it did, they would be so horrified that it would be like game on. 
But what about if there was, so this is like a tangent on this idea, but what about, what if there's this, they have like these array of crystals that's long-term food storage. So like when a hive wakes up from hibernation or whatever, they have food available to them. Um, so that before that way they can feed before they go to hunt. So what if there's that? What if they're on the big hives? They have these um, crystal arrays that have people in them. And what if a bunch of those are satedans? They would a have to be. Them. Like a bunch of them. Like one of the hives that called Satita has been in hibernation. And they come in and they, they find out about this. Um, not because they live longer, but because... Because it's they're just, just in storage. They're in storage. Um, they and and they call the storage. whole planet. So it would be like there would be a lot of people. And I would think the hives that called Satita would... Um, they're not going to, and and they're not going to share their food resources with other hive groups. No, so, so they're going to they're going to put them on tap and um, on in storage, and then they're going to go to sleep. And when they wake up, there's going to be a lot of cetidins on in their food stores. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, that could be an interesting story about how to bring Satita back. That would be a very interesting story. And maybe that is one of the information is that he descends with. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was an episode about people recovered from a down dart. Um, there was also that one, the one where we learned about them being in storage in, in uh, the darts in that episode where Rodney. It's and, a they, duet with duet. Um, Cadman and um, McKay. Yeah. Where they switch, where they're both inside of McKay's body. Yeah. Um, the episode that I believe is singularly responsible for what there is of the Carson Rodney ship. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it could be a, a way to give Ronan his people back. Maybe not all of them, because I'm assuming quite a lot of them have been. But it could easily be in the tens of thousands depending on what their population was um, and how much that hive group is eating, how long they've been in start, um, how long they've been in hibernate hibernation. Yeah. But you're, you're actually saying, so you honestly think that Satita managed to stay under the radar of the race long enough to have a million people on their planet. I think they had to choose between technological advancement and population growth. So, in order to stay under the radar and to develop technology to fight the Wraith, they could not have been that big. And you have to think about how many died in the fighting that couldn't be called. Because they did bombard the planet from orbit. I'm sure they were they were calling while they were bombing. So... And so, their plan was twofold. We're going to get some food and we're going to kill the rest. But I think you could easily make a case for anywhere between twenty to a hundred thousand in storage, which is a lot of people for Pegasus. Even and at frankly, the low end, you couldn't write all of them coming out of it anyway, because um, you could not support that many people coming out of storage. No, they would have to like they'd have to actually when they realize what it is, they'd have to they'd have to like 
to like steal like the whole array and figure out how to power it and um, and keep them in storage and, and bring them out a little at a time because they'd have to give them a place to, they'd have to, I mean, what are they going to do, right? And they would have no ability to control who came out. So it's right. like they can look for leaders or look for people who can build or look for people who can um, farm the land. So they're going to have to build a settlement a little bit at a time. And also, um, they probably have not been sorted by age unless they were considered a delicacy. So you might find all the babies in like one special area, which would be a nightmare because you can't pull out 1,000 babies. No, they'd actually have to leave the babies alone and leave them in the crystals, which would be terrible because they'd say, yes, we've identified where the babies are. No mother who we've just gotten out of storage, we cannot bring the babies out. We can't. I'm sorry. We don't know which one's yours. We don't. And we can't. We, have, we don't have the resources to. And we can't put them back in once we take them out. So we've, we found a way to get them out of cull. We can't recall the babies. That doesn't work that way. So, but I could, I could see them maybe taking them out of the beams long enough to, to, to separate out, like, like you said, anything that they consider a delicacy. <laughs> anyway. Um, I imagine they did probably sort the herd. Yeah, they probably that's did. That's rude. But that's how they would view it. They probably, and they probably pulled the old out first too, because they're like, hey, if we wake up hungry, we're not going to want a bunch of old people in there. So let's just, we got the snacks. This is some on-hand snacks for now. Um, I think the Hannibal fandom is, is ruining, <laughs> ruining <laughs> us. Well, <laughs> you just call old people snacks. <laughs> If we're talking, okay, so based upon, well, this is based upon the idea that babies would be for their queens because they have more life energy, right? More years right. of life to take, which would mean that they wouldn't present people who had less years of life to their queen, which would mean they'd be, you know, I'm sorry. It, it's just, I'm not, and I don't think it's the Hannibal Phantom. I think it's like trying to put yourself and figure out what is the thinking process and, and, and the, and the, the resource management process of a species that eats people. So they, they as much as it freaks me out, like some of these thoughts, it kind of freaks me out. You have to, I mean, that's what you have to do, right? It's like, well, how would the Wraith approach? How would they approach resource management? Because clearly there is a level of management. They don't just, eat, you know, eat whoever gets their hands on the dude first. Right. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it is herd management. It was just, she called for all people snacks. <laughs> Well, it got me really tickled. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, none of them wouldn't eat an old person. The meat's got to be dry, <laughs> tough, you know. Um, that's you thinking like Hannibal, right? That's it, right there. You've been grabbed by the Hannibal Phantom. It's like Hannibal wouldn't wouldn't seal people at snacks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, in Pegasus Purgatorio, Purgatorio, um, Purgatorio, written by Mrs. Hamill. Um, fantastic story. If you've not read it, you absolutely should. R John and Rodney learned to use beaming technology to um, to do all kinds of things. They even create. They even find a um, replicator, an actual like Star Trek kind of replicator, so they can replicate food. Um, it's a very good story, and I don't remember what the storage thing was for the people but it, it was something like that it was a, it's a very good story though i highly recommend that you read it 
Anyway, so in that idea, though, but it, you wouldn't get all the way through it. And at, at best, like you would do the setup where they start bringing people out a few hundred at a time. And they talk to like Ronan and go, what do you want to do here, dude? You got a lot of you got a lot of say in this. Like they bring the first people out and they realize they're Satidans and like, okay, so what are we going to do? But you would have and you, I would kind of like if I were writing it, like touch on um you know, like the angst of the parents that come out and they don't know if their kids are alive and they have, and they're not going to be allowed to find out if their kids are alive because they can't, they can't touch those crystals until the society can support that many babies. Um, and there you would know, be children too. There would be young children. There would be teenagers. Um, and it'd it be wouldn't like, just be babies. It would be whole families that would be separated because of it. And it would be very, and it, it would be hard and it'd be like, you know, okay. So, and also it'd be like, we, we're not going to bring children out until we have enough adults to care for them. And you're going to have to be prepared to care for whatever children come out because we have no way of matching. So, you know, they may be able to say, okay, we're, we're going to bring, we're going to bring 300 kids out now or a hundred kids out or whatever number it is. And as a, as a people, we have to take care of these kids. That's just the way it is. And you know, honestly, parents could probably die of old age before their kids um, um, ever came out of the beam. Well, I don't think you have to bring. Uh, it's you know, if I were writing this, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have it be that you have to bring everybody in a crystal out. So they could bring if there's a thousand children stored in one crystal. That I wouldn't. You know, I would think you could. You know, use the technology to bring ten life forms out. Right, because they the, the race would be able to bring out individual life signs to feed on they wouldn't bring out a whole crystal to eat right so it would be um it would be a case of where you know whatever many people you would say was stored in a crystal you they would take out as many as they plan to eat and no more and so but the problem would become in that you can't tell who's who you just would be like okay we're going to bring out you know three general meals and one delicacy <laughs> That's that's the that's that's the level <sighs> of precision. Um, so it it it, ha it would have the potential to be you know both really. But if the numbers are as high as some of you guys were talking about, if there's like a hundred thousand people in there, it could be decades, if not generations, before they could support all those lives. So there are parents that could die never knowing if their kid was in that crystal or not. Yeah. Or there are parents that could come out later, find their children already grown and older than them. Mm -hmm. Because someone else has raised that kid. And that would just be but something. At that point, it, it wouldn't be about sentiment. It, it would be about survival. It would be about the survival of their, um, of their, of, of their people. So this is, I, I would say, so this is a, like a depressing, like we look at it as depressing, but I would actually think considering what people in, in Pegasus have gotten used to dealing with, that this could be almost in a way for all the difficulty and for all this, the individual moments of sadness, a that gift. overall it would be a gift. Yeah, it would be very affirming. It would be a symbol of triumph. Um, giving, bringing, let's say you did, I, I would actually probably keep the number to around somewhere between 20 and 40,000. I find like a hundred thousand to be like unmanageable. Um, but the bigger 40... the number is, the more depressing the themes are. Yeah. Lily, go get the quarter. 
baby. <laughs> Did you see what she wrote? Yeah. <laughs> for those of you on the podcast, Lily, her reason for being in the, po- the corner this evening so early into the podcast is she said pregnant ladies would be like to Durkins. Turduckins. Turduckins. A, a meal wrapped in a meal. I've never actually had a turduckin. Turduckin. I, I don't know if I would want one. Um, but in considering everything that's going on in in Pegasus, that if they could bring 20,000 people back into Pegasus, an entire culture returned, basically. Even if Even if most of them are gone. It would be, I would think, despite the individual senses of loss that overall as a society, it would be a source of celebration, right? Yeah. Okay, we got we're gonna get a new planet and and we're going to we're gonna we're gonna start again and we don't want a fucking gate. Um oh, we don't know what no gate means. No way out. Well, true. So I guess they would want a gate. But you know what those people would come out of the um also wanting? Revenge. Mm-hmm. In some ways, that's a ready-made army. Mm-hmm. And honestly, Atlantis could support 25,000 people or 30,000 people. Yeah, I mean, it's the size of Manhattan. Let's not forget that. So Atlantis, they could put, put the Satedans on Atlantis, but it would have to be... Um, um, what, what if what if now in Sentinels of Atlantis the Satedans and the Ancients interbred what if one of the reasons why a large number of these babies, children young adults were kept is because they're all ATA positive well that's interesting and what if Maybe Ronan didn't know this, but what if one of the people in the first couple groups that they pull out while they're trying to, because they, maybe they want to get enough Satines out to make a, help get enough to make a decision as a people, right? So they, they pull some people out and they get a cross sampling of people, young, old, different walks of life, male, female, whatever. Um, and they explain the issue to them. People are like, well, can we stay here and it's like and maybe they say look one of our issues is power we can't open up more of the city we can't get it safe because we just don't have you know the power to be able to you know we have to keep enough power in the zpm we do have the one we do have to withstand wraith bombardment you know if it should come so powering that much more of the city is just not a possibility and what if one of you know maybe several of the satines go well we know where your little power things are we can address your power problems. Maybe it was something Ronan didn't know, but maybe there's somebody, some people who did know. Where there the probably would little batteries. Be, there probably actually wouldn't be a lot of politi- um, politicians and leadership left because most of the people who probably got called were, were people on the ground, people fighting, people in the streets. That was not their politicians or their leaders. Their politicians and leaders got bombed in the, um, into the dark ages. Yeah. Yeah. But so, no, I, I I actually don't think that th- I don't. I'm not saying that Satines would know how to make ZPMs, but they might know where some are. Some are, especially if the HS did interbred with them. There could be a cache on Satita that Ronan never knew anything about. Right, because he they was, never go back there and 
in canon. So, right, which is which is crazy kicks because they clearly had advanced weaponry. I don't know people why people weren't why they weren't because unless the whole... one of the first things I did in Lantean Legacy was go take a trip. Uh, I mean, up an alien helicopter. Unless, yeah, <laughs> unless, unless that literally they the wraith bombed that planet into paste. There should have been weapons that could have been scavenged from that. And planet. we know that they didn't bomb it into paste because Ronan got stuck there again. Right. So, um, yeah, Ronan was actually a teacher, I believe. I mean he he wasn't originally a soldier. He was drafted, I think, but he wasn't taught for that. He wasn't trained for that, I don't think. Because in one of the flashbacks, we see him um, in a really nice suit. Um, he's not in battle armor of any sort when when he's fighting with his wife, who's clearly a doctor of so some he sort, might, a healer he, of some sort. He might not know anything about their sciences. He might not know that there are ZPMs on Satita. He would have no way of knowing that because he wouldn't know what a ZPM is by that name. He wouldn't know about the ancients' batteries or anything like that. And so they get one of the people out there and go, you just need those ancient battery things? We've got those. We've got a bunch of those. Let's go to Satita and we'll get them for you. Um, and it would be like, so if we show you these, we get to live here. Right? right? And yes, yes, you do. Michaela, is it your decision? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Shut your whore mouth, weir. <laughs> if we have if we have ZPMs, a lot of them, so we can have all three of the in the in the um console. I don't know what to call that, the ZPM console. Um EPM array? I don't know. But anyway, I don't know actually what the, the term for that that three that three top is. But anyway, um, if they could have that full, then say we can power as much of the city as we freaking want. And they've got your people business. who can help repair the city. It would be really interesting if Earth said no and the people of Atlantis said fuck you to Earth, kept the Satines and the ZPMs. <laughs> <laughs> We're sitting we're through. Bye. <laughs> you can have Weir. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> We're sending Weir back. We're keeping the Satidans and the ZPMs. Here's our double bird. <laughs> they could actually send... We to like them better than you anyway. <laughs> that would be... F okay, what, what if their answer to that was to send... To open up the gate and send through two birds? <laughs> <laughs> And they're sitting there going, only, why, only Daniel gets it. And Daniel starts cracking up and go, told you they weren't going to agree. And everybody's going, what did, I don't understand what two birds has to do with anything. He just <laughs> casually raises his fingers. <laughs> well, yeah, Kavanaugh and Weir go through the gate, each of them carrying a chicken. <laughs> Well, they wouldn't send them any, I don't think, any native um, fauna. So I think that they would send them, like, anything that had come through on the Daedalus. Like, if they had, like, some frozen chickens. They'd, eat, <laughs> they'd each send through a frozen chicken. They might need the frozen chicken. Maybe they could just send them a picture of a bird. <laughs> or Origami <Or> chickens. <laughs> Those little origami cranes. Nico can flick through a couple of cranes. <laughs> She's like, I, I got this. 
just send those two in. She's over and flicks some cranes through. What did you just do? <laughs> I just sent them two birds. <laughs> I'm, I spent all morning making those. Don't judge me. <laughs> the origami chicken. There it is. <laughs> we have just been double birded by an entire galaxy. <laughs> Not that scene in Lanty and Legacy when basically you know, when Jack says, So basically everybody in the expedition and the city told us to kiss their ass. <laughs> and the city. Like, yep, pretty much that's what happened. I think it'd be really interesting to write that, like an independent Atlantis with um Satedans, um and um them really bringing a big fight to the to the ancients. I mean, to the race and the ancients, because fuck them. <laughs> because with, it, with, 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 with friends like that, you don't even need enemies. Yeah. And the thing is, they could actually, with that plan, they could actually bring a lot of people out of those crystals fairly quickly. Um, uh, comparatively. Like, as opposed to... Yeah, and it would be like, we need food. So let's right. go out and get food. We're going to be able to feed 5,000 people this evening. All right, let's go. <laughs> so, but, and then in the long term, because what they would, they would probably, once you've got a, like a few hundred, right? A few hundred people, they could be like, okay, so we're going to, we're going to farm on the mainland. That's what we're going to do. We're going to put all of our resources that we can into staple crops so that we can feed people. And, and they put like, if they put a year of effort into that, they could bring out huge numbers of people, especially if the if the um, if the the ZPMs in, you know enable them to bring more ancient equipment online that brings their greenhouses online and maybe brings food st the food stasis pods that allows them to keep food longer. Um, they could keep food literally fresh in storage crystals. Um, if they start figuring well, out ways, it's the idea of being able to replicate a ZPM. You would not want to. Because it removes a lot of earlier in the week, we we talked about conflict, um, and how conflict is um, how your story is shaped and how it shapes your characters. If you remove all conflict, all problem from their from their deck, right? If if you clear the deck and there's nothing in between them and the end of your story, you shortened your story. So you don't want to give them an unlimited supply of ZPMs. You don't want to give them the ability to replicate ZPMs really quickly or to make ZPMs really quickly. You need to put some obstacles down in front of your characters or your story is going to be really short and ultimately unfulfilling. Now, I mean, some stories do wind up having other conflicts that have nothing to do with power. But I do think the idea of replicating ZPMs is a little bit outside of the... Um, the science. It's outside the science that we're introduced to in canon about ZPMs. It, which is why it's my head canon that even if they're produced on Atlantis, they're not charged on Atlantis. Because charging a ZPM, considering what they are, if there's anything, if anything even remotely dangerous, if there's anything remotely off in the construction of it, if it's not exactly perfect, it, it could tear a hole in the planet. I mean, you have to remember that, that a single ZPM is... Um, I want to say it's like three or four times more powerful than any nuclear power station we currently have on the planet. Or is that the um, NACWA generator? 
and a NACLA generator, it would take 300 of those to equal a single ZPM. I did some math for it in Hold My Coffee. The internet has done math for this. Um, um, I don't think ZPMs were ever mass produced. Because mass production of a power source that, I mean, sure, if, if they want to run the risk of blowing up their whole planet or, you know, their whole solar system, what does self-sufficient have to do with the creation of ZPMs? Because the fact of the matter is, is that we know the city actually utilized other power methods beyond the ZPM because they had that underwater power station at one time that the city must have been tethered to. So the question is, is why? But also, when did they start building ZPMs? Were they even using ZPMs when they went to Pegasus? Or did they bring that technology back with them when they came back through? And if so, what were they using to power their star drive before the ZPM? But also, you need to probably also keep in mind that by the time the ZPM was fully in use, that it was really no different to them because they understood it to an, to an nth degree that to them that it was no different than a Duracell. There was no mystique around the ZPM for them. And there would be the arrogant assumption that they wouldn't make any mistakes either. It's actually in my head, Ken, that they left three in the city and took the rest, um, took whatever else they had on hand with them. Yeah. But it is my head cannon that there's a charging station somewhere and that it probably they slow charge EPMs. And so it probably I think in one story I posited that it takes like three months, but I think it's realistically more of a slow charge with EPM would take a couple of years. Um, so I found this. But it's also it's also good to keep in mind that uh, the amount of zero point energy in a light bulb could boil the oceans on this planet. Yeah. Um, so someone had put out that they thought, you know, somebody put out, this is on Stack Exchange. Someone had put in. That, I love Stack Exchange. I love all those nerds. I know. So, so, so one nerd put in that they thought that, you know, that a ZPM wouldn't be enough to power the U.S. And they gave their rationale for it based upon how much energy it takes to power the chair and blah, 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 blah. And that, you know, to power the chair took 80% of the U.S. energy grid. Um, but then somebody countered with what I just put in i'm not even going to try to read it i'm not going to try to read it because um it's it's complicated somebody somebody did some fucking complicated math <laughs> um, so it, it's a lot a zpm has a, a lot of power a um, lot of power yeah agreed and they're not going to charge that on the planet it's too risky and I, the ancients were not that stupid uh, they, you know, because but, but problem, the question becomes is is it a charging or is it a capturing? Are they capturing zero point energy or are they pouring it into a device and holding it hostage? Because there is a difference between like um, whether or not they're just kind of reaching out and grabbing a piece. Well, I think they have to be holding it hostage, otherwise they wouldn't drain. Right. So it's, I mean, a ZPM is basically zero point um, energy. Um, contained in a vacuum, contained in a crystal. Which, if it were just something they were free free grabbing, 
if it was just leveraging zero-point energy, it wouldn't drain. So because it drains means that there's they're, they're slowly grabbing, they're slowly building up a charge from zero-point energy would be my think, my, my, my guess. I mean, I don't really understand. They and finding the Atlantis, Sebastian's theory was, and this is actually my pet theory, was that ZPM um, energy wasn't, the, the zero-point mo module was not constantly pulling zero-point energy in. That it had but, captured zero-point energy at a certain point, and it was using it, and because if it was continuously pulling it in, it would never run out of energy. Right. They wouldn't be, they wouldn't have all these dead, empty ones running around if it was constantly pulling in zero point energy, which means, which is why I think, which is why it's my pet theory that there is a charging station somewhere, probably one in each galaxy, where they do this very risky procedure of capturing zero point energy for storage. There was one pick where um, the, the ZPM factory, um, the ZPMs were created. One at a time, powered one at a time, and then it would be put in this box. And the gate, the facility would dial the gate for Atlantis and push it through. And it would come in this um, protective box. Yeah. Just one at a time. Now, I could totally see the, but I could totally see the the manufacture of them happening on Atlantis, but you could go either way with that. They're manufactured off world, but I would think that quality control checks would be really important on that finished ZPM that they would want to make sure that it was absolutely perfect before they put it in to be charged. Um, there could even be yeah, two different one little, crack. one little problem and that you've ripped a hole in your planet. So and they could have had that. They could have had that disaster, right? They could have had their first charging station because they were careless. Because I doubt they ever charged them on the city, but they could have had their first charging station because they were careless. Blow the fuck up. Um, but this is why I think that, based upon what we know about ZPMs and Canon, um, they could still get a large number of them, right? So they could they could still get a fairly large number of them so that they have confidence that they could withstand wraith bombardment for a thousand years or more. And with that level of confidence, it would allow them to move forward with integrating the Satedans into the city. But just the ability to, like, I don't know, replicate a, a ZPM, I think kind of flies in the face of, of canon, the, what little canon we, science we have about ZPMs. And again, I think it removes too much conflict from your board. Also, it makes them a very attractive target to Earth. So it actually would increase conflict at a distance, like your external conflict. Because if Earth finds out that Atlantis has the ability um, to full-blown mass-produce replicate ZPMs like M&Ms, Atlantean Legacy, Theseus grows a ZPM. That's part of his um, biology, the ability to do that with the right materials. So not even not it's not just impreg; it's tech preg. Well, it's not. I mean, he's using <laughs> um, he's using nanotech. I, I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> yeah, it, yes, yeah, that too. It's nanotech. But Theseus builds ZPMs. I should say I, I should say build. Um, he builds ZPMs, but only one at a time. Um, and it is a very taxing endeavor, and it actually costs him a lot to make one in a variety of ways. Um, and so he can't just push them out one by one and, 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 and have a hundred uh, available. Cause that doesn't make any is, sense. Is that, is that the story where they have like 
he has lists of like min- like raw materials that he has to get and that they open they go they go have to get mining open on yes is that is that a story okay yeah okay I mean, that makes perfect sense. It's like, if we're going to make ZPMs, we're going to have to get put raw materials in. They don't just pop out of nowhere. Um, but in what might have been, I had Rodney cha- charge and his ZPM off Earth. And he was like, because I don't want to blow in the hole in the planet because my cat lives here. And they're all like, ha, ha, ha. But he was serious. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> what? I mean, honestly, the Stargate program was super cavalier about the high energy um, weapons and 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 the 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 generators and stuff that they worked with because, you know, like they didn't learn anything from their off world adventures. Um, but yeah, I so one of the way you could put like some obstacles is like okay, we've got some blanks, we've got some empties. They could even find the empties, like empties that had come out of production that hadn't been taken off world to charge yet. Um, but it's kind of like, okay, it's it's we, we can go put these into the charging station, but they're not going to be charged for years. Because, you know, it's a slow charge because, you know, safety first, motherfucker. Um, anyway, so you could put that in as like, you know solve the problem of we can't have all these we can't have 40,000 people on the city because and it allows you to wake people up faster because it'd be like okay once we can get enough food stores in place and we gradually start bringing people you know getting people awake to help prepare Atlantis um and Atlantis could do a lot of that too it's like if they get Atlantis fully powered Atlantis could take over a lot of the Atlantis, the AI. You also have to look about like, are, are are they trading off the world? What are they trading with? Um, Lady Holder did a really cool thing in um, her Chief Cooper series, where I think it's Chief Cooper, where one of the items that Atlantis trades heavily is salt. Salt would actually be a very valuable trade good. Mm-hmm. It's a very valuable trade good here. Yeah, it is. Salt's big business. Um, so you would be, you know. Uh, does does it does Atlantis have harvesting machines? Do they have replicated food? Um, what does Atlantis need to make food for the population? Now, in Atlantean Legacy, Atlantis has harvesters that go off world and harvest proteins, um, of which Ronnie doesn't like to think about. But then it she brings it back into the city and she uses those proteins um, to create food for them based on their preferences. And you could, I, you know, you could easily have like, you know, the, the tops of several towers are actually the greenhouses. And that once the power comes online um, and you don't have to worry about some things would, the ancients would have figured out like the watering and um, pollinization. And you, so you don't have to, if you've got seed, and the, and the ancients might even have seed in storage. It's just they don't know any of this stuff because they've never been able to get the computer fully online. So you could actually... And also, it could be that the the, the city could also cool, um, cull nutrition's, nutrition, nutrients, fuck it, nutrients from the sea. They're, they're sitting on life. Yeah. There's and, lots of and, nutrients sitting underneath them. There's fish, there's... Um, there's lots, of, there's lots of proteins in the ocean they, they're sitting on. They have seaweed, um, various ocean plants, krill. And, yeah, absolutely. And Atlantis would be, the city would know exactly what levels it can cull 
uh, or harvest the ocean safely to not damage the ecosystem. Um, so you could actually have like you solve a lot of issues by bringing you bring the ZPM in, and you do open up. The thing is, when you solve issues like this, you do bring open up new issues. So you bring in the power. It gets the AI online. It starts unlocking these levels of the system to bring it back. And maybe it could just be that all of this stuff has just been shut off because the city was in um, sort of that life raft mode that it's been in. And when it starts thinking it's going to be functioning as an actual home again, it's got to, it unlocks the greenhouses and it powers them up and it starts, it goes, okay, we got to move. You know, we got to move the city and maybe the city is designed to move periodically. So it, it harvests from different parts of the ocean on the planet. And, you know, you just. At the very least, you might need to get in that planet's version of the Gulf Stream. Yeah. Drift. They might drift a little bit. Um, I like it. It was one of your stories where they moved the city to uh, like a geothermal vent or something. Right. To reduce. It was. Um, it was Revenant. Was it? I believe. I, I remember them. I remember them moving the city slowly onto like a geothermal vent to help with power mm -hmm. of the city. And that might be Atlantis's preferred is to not is to have the primary power for the day to day function of the city coming from geothermal energy or something. Um, and also, and also, it, it doesn't make any sense that they're sitting on an ocean if they're not using the on um, the current. Yeah, yeah, hi, yeah, hydropower, hydroelectric. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all. And as much surface space as they got, they have to be using solar power too. And the thing is that stuff could all be just locked down. And like the people on the city don't know about it because the city is, was effectively abandoned. And so all of those functions, I mean, basically Janice left the city in a, in a state for Elizabeth to be able to, to, to draw the minimal amount of power so that those ZPMs would last 10,000 years. Um, and then, they come up and they don't have enough power to be able to turn all these functions on, but they bring in, you know, and the thing is it could be that just bringing in that one ZPM wasn't sufficient. I think, I think you'd need a little bit more of a catalyst for how to wake the city up. Um, it could be actually that maybe that could be it. It could be like you said, that there are satines that are gene carriers and you get enough gene carriers on the, on the city and the city will wake up on its own. All those systems will come online once there's enough gene carriers to do so. I kind of have like a little germ of an idea in the back of my head. I have, I have something kind of percolating. We we love um, idea germs. <laughs> They're contagious. Um, what if it's not that there aren't enough gene carriers on the on the city? What if there are too many who are not gene carriers? And with the influx of Satedans, the city gets more comfortable because there are more of what she expects to be there. But I imagine that she's still probably deeply uncomfortable with the people who don't have genes. Because they're not supposed to be there. They're invaders. She's been taught that if you don't have the gene, then you don't belong there. I think that the artificial gene only works because all it's doing is activating a gene sequence. Yeah. That's my headcanon too, is that is that it only really wasn't doesn't work on everybody is because they need to have like a recessive gene or something. Because if it was just an artificial gene, then it should work for everybody. 
but okay. it's not, which means that that whatever they're doing in that gene therapy is activating that, that something that's already there. So that's just my, yeah. So in Atlantis Codex, I had it. Oh, I don't know if this actually has come out in this part of the thing. Actually, it hasn't come out in the first story. It comes up in the second story. Is that is that the gene therapy that that gene therapy that deals with the recessive gene? Um, was done very quickly, but Elizabeth Weir got Carson to hold on to it and keep pushing and working and working and working, and working on it to try to make it so that they get a therapy that works for everybody. Because that wasn't, that wasn't a therapy that was going to help her. No. Because I would imagine if somebody's got like a recessive gene or something like that, 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 that gene therapy would be really simple. And, and the, um, the race, um, actually, this is my headcanon on the ATA gene. We know that the wraith are actually a hybrid of ancient Inaratus. They are a ascension spirit. They are an, an ascension experiment gone wrong because the Inaratus feed on the life force and the ancients believe that life force is what ascends. So they were trying to create a creature that that would force ascension. Right. So it ended up creating the wraith. Now, it's my headcanon that in the height of the war with the wraith, in order to gain to, to keep their technology right. out of the wraith's hands, they created the ATA gene. Which makes exactly it, it has to be that it was something that they did to that the gene initially was artificial to keep to keep the wraith from being able to use their tech. I mean, it makes and and they they coded their city to it, which would could actually could even f um, feed into what you were just talking about, that that the city is almost paranoid about people who don't have that gene because if you work with a sentient or sapient sapient and sentient AI, that she was taught that this gene exists to keep the city out of the hands of the wraith, and she may know these other people are not wraith, but that's not the point. It was a that was like they're not her people. That was the final security protocol was that gene, and there's so many people on the city who don't have it. And it probably it probably a mixture of the mass exodus of the ancients and the fact that she was left in the hands of with somebody who does not have the gene. Right, Elizabeth. She would associate Elizabeth Weir with starvation. Yes, Elizabeth, the old Elizabeth was doing what she had to to make sure the city survived. But that's not, I mean, she would still associate her with starvation. Here is this, this woman who doesn't have the gene on me, not letting me have power. If I had enough power, I could leave this planet. I wouldn't have to be here. But they hobbled her by only giving her enough power to survive. Just sad. Which makes me want to do that really that that ancient John Guardian story all the more. Ancient John Guardian? Where John and his son are left behind as the guardians of Atlantis. Right. And they wake up when the people from Earth come. I think that maybe John and Janice were kind of like bros, but John found Janice frustrating. <laughs> like I think John is very uh, very much a protector and Janice is like hey come push this button 
John's like, no, dude, no. <laughs> no, we're not pushing the button. You don't ever push the fucking button. What's wrong with you? But yeah, I like the idea of, of that and um, of John and John being very offended by the idea that there are people in the city who don't have the gene. But also being like, that dude's got a really nice ass. I, I'm, I'm going to hate sewing him off. <laughs> it's like, sorry, dude, you got to go, though. <laughs> I just... But yeah, I mean, I think it'd be really interesting to see. Um, now, um, Tarlin, um, who remains one of my favorite Stargate authors, actually did a really good story about this this actual principle that you could not stay on the city if you don't have the gene. Um, and um, he threw them out. Like the the city, when the expedition came through, the city separated them out and kept the gene carriers and threw everybody else back through the gate. To Earth. And so they come out to Pegasus on a ship trying to take control of the city, right? Um, but one of the one of the things that sticks out in my brain is that Kavanaugh is one of the ones that gets kicked off and they're and they're in a meeting. Um, and they're like, Well, I don't know why Rodney got to stay. He doesn't have the gene. And he says something along the lines of, Yeah, but he had a whole lot of ancient DNA in his ass. <laughs> Ah, okay. We know because what the city let John keep his Rodney because <laughs> they were banging, <laughs> and eventually Rodney does get the gene, and that's sentience by Tarlin. And if you've not read that, get on it. And, and Elizabeth tries, to, I think, to actually sleep with Jack O'Neill to get gene, you know, to get the DNA in her so she can get onto the city, and Daniel didn't. <laughs> Daniel wasn't having any of that shit, <laughs> dude. But yeah, it's called it's called um, sentience. Sentience, and it's by Tarlin. It's actually one of the first McShep stories I ever read. Fantastic work. I'm a big fan of Tarlin, who is a big fan of McKay. You know, as much as Estefi is a bland sexual, I think Tarlin's a McKay sexual <laughs> or a Hewlett sexual, ever, ever, ever how you want to say it. So, all about um, David Hewlett. Uh, so. But if you so read all of Tarlin because you won't be disappointed. Won't be sad. You won't be sad to read Tarlin. But, but sentience is great. But it would be interesting if, if parts of the city were sleeping and the AI was very leery of the non-gene carriers. And she'd gotten used to McKay. He, you know, his gene's not quite right because they don't they didn't quite get it right. Um, but he takes care of her. And she probably likes Zelenka because he takes care of her. He doesn't have the gene. She wants to fix that because, you know, it, it kind of makes her uncomfortable that he's still here, but he also fixes her. <laughs> yeah, Lady Ra also explored that particular concept of uh, called Loving Rodney. I, I love think. Loving Rodney. Right, oh where, the, where this, the city just varies. Because a lot of the story is written from Atlantis' point of view, right? Yeah, because the city sort of so it doesn't really pay attention to the non-gene carriers, except for Rodney, and it's she starts paying more and more and more attention to Rodney because he he takes care of her, and um, the city loves Rodney, and it's just yeah. If you haven't read Loving Rodney, well, honestly, if you haven't read Lady Raw, I don't even why you're listening to us talk. Well, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Stop listening to the podcast and go listen to Lady Raw. Uh, go read, go read her stories. Um, yeah, but yeah, it, it would be yeah, it would be interesting to write that only um, gene carriers can stay on the city, in that um, 
I think it's just very interesting. They probably have a lottery for the babies coming out, you know, that, that don't get a genetic matchup to, to an adult that's already out. It's okay. If you're willing to take a baby into your household, you put you on the list. If you don't want to, you need to have a really good reason why. <laughs> you know, yeah. Because we're getting these babies out. So, you know, um, and I'm sad about my baby is not a good enough reason, which I would honestly think, considering what people in that in that galaxy are used to living with, they would that, take any kid that came out of it. Absolutely. They would line up. Yeah, they they definitely would. Um, but you know, one of the other things you could do is with something like this is it could take a while, I, and I would make it take a while if it were me. I would make it take a while. Is that Atlantis might be able to eventually start to be able to might be able to figure out how to figure out the DNA profile for the people in stasis. Um, Cause there might be information that's stored there about these life signals that nobody can interpret at first, but she figures it out. And so it might eventually be able to enable them over time to start being re more selectively, you know, reuniting family groups. Um, or at the very least, um, genetic offspring. I doubt they, that she'd be able to, I mean, she obviously would not be able to determine, say, hey, so-and-so is married to so-and-so. That wouldn't be. But she might be able to find a kid that has, okay, this kid has this genetic signature and this genetic signature, so this kid belongs to these two people, or this kid is, there's their mother and there is their grandfather, there's a paternal grandfather, but I don't see a paternal father. You know, she could, you know, probably put together family trees that way. Yeah. <clears throat> but then she'd probably have a whole cache of babies that don't have any relations. And the people who know that they aren't going to get their baby out could be like, well, let's bring those babies out. I want to, I want to, you know. And if I wrote it, I'd want John to get a baby. Yes. <laughs> Cause, that, Cause that's the whole point, right? <laughs> I want, I want, I want John to get a baby. Yes, because that is the whole point. John needs to have a baby. I agree. I don't know. Probably, you know, I, I, I usually ride him with a son, so it'd be interesting to ride him with a daughter. Yeah, I'd probably ride him with a daughter too, just because um, he's getting a, a boy when Todd comes home. You know, so change it up, little Todd. Yeah, I mean, I imagine there would be some sexual affairs revealed. I mean, you know. <laughs> right? Have a good night, Jeep. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think it would be really interesting, you know, to, to explore that kind of thing. And it would be like, so th this one dude has like six kids in here, but none of them have the same mom. And... Um, He's not here either. So <laughs> just so all these kids are siblings, so that they need to know their siblings when they grow up. So they don't make a mistake later on. Because <laughs> that would be really important to figure out genetics so you don't get um incestuous pairings later. Um just for breeding from from a breeding perspective, not really even from a moral perspective. If they're not being raised together and they don't even know that they have a brother who's living across the city with somebody else, that gives the possibility of them meeting and falling in love with a half-sibling or too close of a cousin, which could cause problems with their, um, with their offspring and 
could create problems with the population. So you'd want to have something in place to say, okay, so that when you, when let's say like when John gets a kid, he can say, okay, um, they actually have a third cousin who's being raised by so-and-so she's two, <laughs> you know, so that, you know, because mm -hmm. I imagine some of these kids would be related even somewhat distantly. Okay. At the risk of throwing out even a, a, a really sad in this way, um, and somewhat horrifying idea because you know how I, apparently I'm just it's my night to be horrifying. Um, what if what if um, Ronan's wife was pregnant when she was called, like seriously pregnant, and I'm mad already. <laughs> she's well, dead. Get it. She she's yeah. dead. She's dead. But the baby was put into snack stasis um and so ronan one of the one of the babies that they that ronan knows nothing about and it would be an, like a newborn that they find in the databanks is ronan's kid i mean it's beautiful are you mad at me <laughs> i mean it's beautiful it would be like um well no it, there was an explosion and they were separated. That doesn't mean she was killed. And it could have been that, that she, you know, she was called and when they were doing their sorting for who, who what, you know, they, she was called injured and they could have been doing their sorting for who's going to go into what crystal. And, and she has, she, has, she gives birth. And so they put the baby. And obviously like, this is also kind of an AU. Um, because there's no evidence in canon that the Wraith actually do this with their little beaming technology. So this no. could be written as an alternate universe. So you could have his wife pop out or um, Ronan could have actually, um, there could have been a baby at home and the baby was called too. And he doesn't talk about it. Why would he? I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't talk about so it. He either. lost his wife and his, his son on that day that his son was in a a preschool or or a, what you call that a cre c r e c h e crash 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 yeah crash um and um she didn't i mean and he has no expectation that his child survived but his child is in this and maybe he's maybe he's hoping um that his wife will come out too or maybe he has no hope of either and so it's a complete surprise for him when when this happens cuz i'd like but to i think he'd probably tell them like you know at, at that point i think that he would be like can we look for my wife and son in the crystal and depending on where in canon this could be when they find out that ronan actually had a wife and child or or, or wife cuz they don't reveal his wife until much later in the canon um and this is when the team finds out that he lost more than just he lost more than they than he than they thought he did. And maybe you could even like depending on what you're writing, that you could retrieve one of his parents. Or a grandmother. I mean, I wouldn't restore like everything because that would like I think feel a little contrived. Um, yeah. But you could I mean you could give Ronan back a lot. And I wouldn't be mad at it. Maybe, maybe his son, um, 
or it may be a half sibling, or yeah, or um, 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 or the child of a sibling. Yeah, I mean that would be cool too. Um, a cousin. But honestly, um, if I was writing it, I'd probably just give him back the son. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just. Or snack grandma. <laughs> huh? Snack grandma. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, I would want one of those old people to find out that, that, they, that they were listed as a snack and just be furious. <laughs> What the what the fuck you mean I was listed as a snack? You were in a what snack, Chris. You were in from what we can determine from our translation programs, the reason why there's so few, you know, old people left is that they were all in what we have translated into be snack crystals and they were eaten first. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the snack protocol gotcha. <laughs> but hey, you're here. You're here. Hey, if someone writes Ronan's feisty grandma, she has to be played by uh, um, Angela Bassett. <laughs> I have spoken. <laughs> I th actually, I think I would. I think I'd have it be um, Nichelle Nichols. I, I think I think Uhura could totally be Ronan's feisty grandma. <laughs> she could be. She could be with someone's feisty grandma. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking that Angela Bassett could set some shit on fire. <laughs> Ronan, you're going to have to go get me my gun. Like, come on, man. No. Go get me my gun. <laughs> What do you mean you I, don't have my gun? I left it on Satita. Young I, man. I, John, I had to go to Satita to get my grandma's guns. <laughs> you want to tell her she can't have her guns, John? Okay, <coughs> <coughs> hey, John, she wants us to open up a wormhole. To the nearest oh, room. maybe Ronan is carrying her gun. Maybe it's her gun. He's like, fuck. <laughs> he's like, I got to go to Satita and get my gun because grandma wants hers back. <laughs> That was your grandma's gun? <laughs> yes, why do you think I would let you touch it, Rod Rodney? It's a family heirloom. It belonged to my mm -hmm. nana. But yeah, I mean, you know, it would be it would be nice to give Ronan back some family along with um um the idea that his, the traditions of his family, I mean, I mean his people could be preserved. And also, um I have to think that having a whole bunch of adult Satedans really ready to bring bring it Mm -hmm. to the race would be hella fun to write. Because they would have so much more to defend than just the city. Um, to just protect the earth, you know, the news, the, the information about Earth. This would be about, you know, this, um, the survival of their kind, the survival of their people, revenge. And you can't underestimate the power of revenge. All that said, there is a ripple here. That you'd okay. have to account for. I do think that I, I can't think of the last time we did a pot, plot drift that I horrified so many people so many times. <laughs> it's good though. It's it's good for their constitution. It really is, as, um, as my grandmama would say. So, or my grandma snack. I mean, 
Snack ma. Okay. Um, what if this is this is the ripple you have to account for? Is the that ripple? the ripple is that once they learn about these crystal arrays where their the race food stores are kept, it puts them in an awkward position with any wraith, wraith hive they come in, in contact with. Because now they have to look back on every wraith hive they've destroyed and consider were their were their were their food stores empty? If they weren't, they just they just have to accept that they gave the people in storage an ending, a better Peace. ending than the the a better ending. I mean, it'd be different because be I would rather cease to exist in a calling beam and never wake up than wake up somebody's food. Yes. Absolutely. But you'd have to then, they, but that does put them into a position anytime they come into a contact with the Wraith Hive. So they look back on the ones that, I would probably address the ones that they've already destroyed and go, look, we didn't have any way of knowing what was in those, what was on those. We didn't have any way of knowing this, okay? But those people, and from what we know from Hoff, and how the people in this galaxy feel about being food, and how we would feel, this is a better thing for them to have, have died in those hives being exposed being blown up than for them to have been brought out of those crystals and used as livestock. So, but now we've got to deal with what happens with the next hive we run in contact with. Do we make attempts to try to get these crystal? I think they would have a, I I think they would have a very black and white policy. If we can't take the array, we destroy the array. Yeah. Because like you said, I wouldn't want to wake up food. So if we can't take it from them, we make sure they can't feed from it ever. So like even if we can't destroy the whole hive, we do our best to destroy the crystals. The crystal yeah, absolutely. Art. Absolutely. I think that that is like the only solution to that problem. Either we take it or we destroy it. But we but don't leave any anyone. We don't leave any human being in the hands of the race if we can help it. Except maybe Elizabeth, who thinks that they have a right to negotiate for feeding grounds. But this could be the point, right? Because this is the point that says, okay, if we if we leave an array rather than destroy it, then we create situations where the race could use it as a hostage. But if our policy is always take or destroy, they understand that they can't use that as a, um, as a hostage. Because if they try to hostage that, the people from Atlanta will just destroy their whole fucking hive. Right. And what they could do is in terms it, of making this decision. It takes away the power. You could have somebody just say, look, we feel like this is the right thing to do. But they could get like a council of pe- of people from the, it, it, could, it could be a moment to address it in the story. Of like they get a people, like of the, of the people they trust, like the Athosians, somebody, some people from the, from the Satedans, obviously, and maybe some other planets they've come in contact with who, who, that they trust to, to sit in judgment on this and say, look, this is a situation. If we can get a hold of these arrays, we're going to, and try to bring the people out and figure out where they go and and try to reunite them if we can but we want the people of this galaxy to be make make the decision about to understand that this is what we think should be done is is we destroy it if we can't get it and that we never leave them there the, they're feeding because the question really becomes is do we leave your people in the hands of the wraith to be fed on right 
But I would think that they would, you know, I would think that would be the ethical way to approach it is as opposed to just making a decision for an entire galaxy is say, we want consensus. And I would think that all of them would be on board with, yes, if you cannot get it, get those crystals back, you destroy them. You absolutely destroy them. We would rather you destroy the whole hive, but if you can't destroy the whole hive, you destroy those crystals. Oh, in the past, Weir was totally willing to split up the Milky Way galaxy to, and, and and tell the gold who um, who they could keep as slaves. I think she would totally tell the Wraith who they could um, eat. I I think she would be more than willing to make that um, distinction. Oh yeah, I could totally see her actually even even on the crystal issue just being kind of like, well, they've already got them. I could see that kind of you know. She would probably try to couch it in humanitarianism, like, "Oh, we shouldn't destroy them because we would then we would we you know we might have an opportunity in the future to to rescue them." But what she's 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 not she's not being the humanitarian she thinks she is with that, because clearly the wraith the the pe not the wraith the people in Pegasus would rather do anything than than be in wraith food. And that could be that could be like the people of you know the various different you know leaders from different you know different groups around um, Pegasus just kind of look at her and it's like you shut up we don't want your opinions anymore no more you clearly don't have any idea what it's like to live here. Weir's actually very coddled. I mean, even by the, you know by the time she gets into the Stargate program, she's perfectly comfortable sitting down with the gold who have been enslaving humans for many thousands of years. She's utterly comfortable negotiating um, continued enslavement of humans who have been taken from Earth and transplanted around the galaxy um, and forced to incubate the gold's young. And she has no problem with it. None. Then she gets to Pegasus and what she do? She, she negotiates a race into Earth orbit. She negotiates a race hive into North, um, um, into Earth orbit. That's that's how that happens, because she because she lets them come to the city. You know, honestly, because the a lot of the um, it it makes her look racist because a lot of the gold took people of color, and there were lots of people of color among the Jaffa. It makes her look racist that she was willing to let them continue to be um, enslaved. And it boils down to the location of the gate, right? Because it was in Egypt. Um, but uh, a lot of the people that were stolen from Earth were of color. And it's a really ugly connotation. And I, I don't think that the Stargate writers meant for that to be it. But that's what it ends up being. And also, most of the expedition is white. Like, I mean, really, the Stargate franchise, most of their characters of color are aliens. True. I mean, see, <laughs> I mean, when you think about it. Yeah, I'm like sitting here casting my brain out over, over, over all the episodes I've seen going, hmm. It is a very, very white show. Probably so. Yeah, but uh, that's um, Abraham Ellis. Yes, he is um, 
um, he's African American, um, but he isn't a regular character. He's a guest star, and like he, that's it. I think a lot of times they were unlimited because they wanted to be. Just I'm just saying. And they're only enlightened now as they have to be. Because appearances are everything. You know, they gave Caroline Lamb a, a white dude for a father. Just saying. Um, they made Aiden Ford a drug addict. Uh, and Miko Kasanji. We don't actually know if Miko and Kasanji are the same person. We assume in canon, in, in fanon, that Miko and Dr. Kasanji are the same. But they could actually be two different characters and we just don't know it. But most of the time, fanon puts them together. Well, part of that is because we only ever saw both Miko and Kusanagi sound oh. Japanese, right? Kusanagi, yeah. And we only ever Kusanagi. see, Kusanagi. but we only ever I see right. one, I think one character who looks Japanese, right? So mm -hmm. I think that's why we've made that that connection realistically because they didn't show us multiple. Well, I'd have to. I mean, I'd have to double check to see if we ever saw any. Yeah, that is Miko doing her um, letter to Pegasus. Um, but again, in canon, it's never explicitly said that Dr. Kusanagi Kusanagi I'm never going to say that right correctly um, on a regular basis because in my head it's it's what I said before. Um, and Miko are the same person. It's 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 never explicit in canon. Okay, so we've got a link to the 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 uh, the wiki has has put her together that it's the same person, but I don't think that you can call a fandom wiki a definitive canon source. No, it, I mean it's not, and it didn't used to be. That is that that is fandom that has that has evolved, but it's never explicitly said in canon that Doctor Kusanagi's first name is Miko. In fact, I think that's the only time we really see her. We we see her referenced a bunch of times, like I, like like someone says her name or something. But I don't know that she's actually on screen more than once or twice. Once, because in IMDb, she's only attributed to the actress who plays Miko, and she's only credited as being Miko, not Miko Kusanagi. Is she's only credited for one episode? Right. So yeah, it's it, it's actually my preferred fanon. Obviously, I use it a lot, but it's not canon. Um, we're still not saying it right. No, they were correcting me. Um, one of, uh, but it's it still bothers me a lot that they got rid of the black guy from first season, Aiden Ford, by making him a drug addict, and it's just like really that that's where you went with it. And they made Jason Momoa wear a wig after he cut off his dreads because they said he didn't look alien enough. Well, they tried to stop him from cutting off his dreads for a long time. prohibited from cutting off his dreads for a long time. Um, yeah, and then they he was getting so much um, headaches, head and neck injury problems because of his dreads that he cut them off. And the studio said that he didn't look alien enough. So they're equating dreads with alien right right okay that's that's gross um yeah absolutely and so they, they made him wear the wig the last two seasons 
But they had even written the, the writers of the show had even written in this great thing where he cut off his um dreads in you know, in the episode where he gets captured and turned into a wraith worshiper by the enzyme briefly. He was supposed to cut off his dreads in a very dramatic kind of grieving process and come back through the gate with no dreads. So the writers even wrote it in, but the studio said no. That's just, it's just terrible. It would have been awesome character development for him. It would have been a really good, really good episode, but they, but the studio fucked it up for us and made Jason wear that stupid wig. So, but I like the idea of restoring the Satedans. If you didn't want to deal with the food crystals <laughs> on other ships, it could be that they're not on all hive ships, but maybe just the ship that holds the queen. Which yeah, it could be because it could that could make some sense too. Is that the food stores are kept on the? Because I don't think you could trust Wraith without a queen to behave themselves. And she, it could be her exerting her control is that she maintains the food stores are kept on a ship where she can punish those who don't behave. Or so it could, one hive group has a has an array. Yeah, and it could be that she um, uses that as a way to control people reward or or punish is she keeps a, a hold you know lock on the food stores snacks i mean i was a little bit i have to admit i was a little bit horrified as some of this ideas were forming in my head but it's just because of the whole but it, this comes up off for me often a lot there's like this cognitive dissonance about dealing with the whole wraith eating people issue it's just, it's a problem. You know, it's just an issue. Food. I wonder if Stargate Atlantis writers on AO3 use the people or food tag, or if it's just a Hannibal thing. I would imagine it's probably just because it, it, it is in Stargate <laughs> canon, but it's not cannibalism, right? So, <laughs> well, it isn't labeled. They, they have they have a tag called "People as Food" or "People are Food" or <laughs> "Well, if Food are People." If you're reading Stargate Atlantis and you don't know that the Wraith eat people, <laughs> you're you're in for a terrible surprise. Terrible, terrible surprise. No, he actually took Jason Momoa took off his braids. Are his dreads in um in real life during this during the um during the filming of season four and they and they and he had to wear a wig and it was not a very good wig um and in season five they had him a very expensive very nice twenty three thousand dollar wig to wear so he would look more alien take that as you will yeah exotic. And I, you know, I would like to set all those studio execs down and say, look, it doesn't matter what Jason Momoa has on his head. He's gorgeous. We're going to watch regardless. <laughs> it doesn't matter what he wears or what he says or how he wears his hair. The beard's nice. I got to admit but he doesn't have to have the beard or he can have the beard. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Taylor's clothes in the field were always practical. 
And what she wore around the city is, you know, her business. <laughs> I don't wear practical things around my house. I always kind of wanted her leather skirt with the slits. Am I the only one? I thought that was gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, that was a good skirt. And I like some of the outfits she wore when she was pregnant. She was very, it was very beautiful and feminine. I really liked it. We softened her character. Without making her look like a wimp, you know? You know what I mean? Well, the one thing I would say about the character of Taylor um, is that um, the straightening of her hair for five seasons was a little ridiculous. Yeah. So I was just reading this thing about Jason's dreads. Apparently the dreads weighed five pounds. Um, God, you mentioned that on your head? Oh my God. And he said he had gotten permission to cut the dreads off, um, but they kept them. And they were supposed to use his dread, his dreads and like sew them back in. And that it was so painful. Um, the whole process of having those, the re, the rehairing, the call the re, rehairing process. Mm -hmm. um, that it was so painful that even if it had been meant being dismissed from the show, that he went into the office and said, I can't do it. I can't do it. Even if it means you guys fire me, I can't have this on my head. So they, um, they said, yes, yeah, get him off. And so they, he cut the dreads off again and they put him in his, in the stunt wig, which was the wig his stunt double wore. And then they made, and then after, cause they need, they didn't have time to get a custom wig made. So for two episodes, he wore the wig that his stunt double wore. And then they, they, Meanwhile, they got a ten thousand dollar custom wig, wig made for him. Is that how much it was? Yeah, ten grand. It's still ridiculous though. Um, to to wear for the last season. So, so it's just really. I mean, it's just the idea of having to wear five pounds on your head. Can you imagine? But I wish we'd gotten the storyline of, of him cutting it off. Yeah, that would have been really nice. That would have been good. Would have been very good. He's just hot. It doesn't matter what his hair looks like. It really doesn't. And, you know. I dig the beard, though. It actually, to a degree, would have made sense that Ronan, if he was living as a, with his years as a runner, the dreads made somewhat, a, somewhat sense that he would have dreads if he had hair at all. It would have actually been more practical as a runner for him to keep his head hair short. Um, yeah. I read a fix once where the, where the author... Um, Mentioned in passing that he'd combed his hair out. Now I just let it go because uh, what? Okay. <laughs> I was just okay. I walk away from that. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> well, I would imagine that it would it, it had been something he'd have been man maintaining, not something that just happened to his hair. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely something. I mean, it looked purposeful. But if he was on the run with no way to deal, you know, on his own, he could have been maintaining to that to some degree on his own, um, on purpose. But cutting it off would certainly have been more practical for a runner. Um, because how easy is it to run with five pounds of dreads bouncing on your head? Um, well, true. He he hid things in his hair, true. Still. We don't want to. Know, we don't want to talk about Riddick, where Riddick hides, hides his knives. I'm pretty sure it's in the bodies of other people. <laughs> um. 
but 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 anyway, the whole thing it, it, with it's just I think there's something just very appealing about doing something really good for for Ronan and giving him something, giving him something back, um, letting him build a real life on Atlantis. Because I mean, I honestly don't remember the last season of um, SGA very well, uh, but. Of all the characters, I felt like Ronan was the character I got the least amount of closure on. That I felt like had the least... Well, um, I don't know that I think that... I think some characters were better positioned than others, but I think Ronan was, was the of the main characters, was the one that I felt like we had the least... least vision for where their life was going. You know what I mean? I wonder if Kira realizes she's muted. I did not. <laughs> okay. I was looking up something, and what I looked up was this: you can comb out dreads. Yes, it's it's possible, but it would um depending because of how much he had, it would have taken days, and it would have been deeply uncomfortable. Um, deeply uncomfortable. So properly locked hair can be unlocked. But it takes a lot of time. And the writer that wrote this particular story, it was like one day, like John saw Rodney in the after in, in the morning and he had dreads and in the afternoon. He didn't. Cause because he'd comb them out. <laughs> I was like, okay, honey. <laughs> That's not how that works. Not not right. Not on that much hair. No. I mean, it had a lot of chemical, a lot of patience. Um it would take, um, and honestly, I, if if it was if I had if I had that much hair, I'd be like, "Can you just cut it?" Because <laughs> that's a lot of work. I mean, there just there would just be a point at which you just go, "I I can't deal with you yanking on my hair anymore." Can you just snip, snip, snip? I would yeah, do it. I mean, but I but I I don't even have that problem when I get tired of my hair, I buzz it off. So. You know, I mean, and if I had, if I had, you know, five pounds of something that's going to take multiple days to, to comb out with lots of yanking and pulling, I'd be like, hell no. I don't have the pair problem I mean, for, I don't have the patience for a hair problem that, that lasts an hour. So I'm certainly not going to have the patience for a hair problem that's going to last me days. I have a friend who goes and gets um, her hair um, weaved in, and um, it can take anywhere from five to six hours to get her weave done. And I'm like, you sit in a chair for five or six hours. Do you bring a book? Because <laughs> I don't. I, mean, yeah. I can't. <laughs> I can barely sit still for 30 minutes to get my hair cut. No, I, well, I mean, the first time I buzzed my hair off, it w I went from nearly butt length to it was between my waist and my butt um, to buzzed. I mean, it it was all off, and I had I didn't. It was for me. It was like I think the relief I felt at the at the lack of weight. I didn't even realize how heavy my hair was. Mm -hmm. Just overpowered anything else. My mother cried. She cried like a baby, and then she spent hours trying to curl my hair, which was ridiculous because my hair was at the longest point at the longest point which was on the top it was a half an inch mom would you please stop trying to curl my hair this is ridiculous 
but she did. She had the teeny tiniest little curling iron and she just, she just bent the ends over. And I'm like, mom, you're just making it look fluffy. And this is not a good look. I look like, you know, if someone inverted me, they could use me to scrub pots. It's just, this is not, this is not present. Just please don't. So I've always, but I've always, I mean, I've always been very, um, what I the fuck ever hair. about the hair. My hair is pretty long right now, but, um, I only have half a head of hair to begin with, so it's not like it's. Yeah. It's not like it's is that kind of. It's not like the, it's the burden of having, you know. Longer hair with, with it being a whole head of hair. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like the idea of kind of separating the array out so that it's just like on, you know, it's it's not like on every hive, um, that it's just you know it's like part of the queen's, um court so to speak yeah but it would make it difficult it would make it more difficult to get to those to get to them to find them yeah I mean if they all had them hive groups would just invade other hive groups and take all their arrays yeah true true but if the queens respect each other's territory and they were they Okay, guys, you guys got to stop stop getting freaked out when I say horrible things. But if they respect each other's food stores, um, <laughs> then it, it could be that that they they leave. Is there like a term for the queen's queenship in a hive group? Well, we we know from canon that hive groups um, function well with the queen. And without a queen, there's there's a lot of infighting and a lot of problems. Um, and that's why Todd asked Taylor to pretend to be a queen for his hive group. Okay, so maybe... Which, the only which, which resulted in the most interesting bit of hand-waving I've ever seen done in Stargate. How the fuck did they do that? Oh, we're just going to turn Taylor into a wraith. It'll be fine. <laughs> and then we'll just pull it off later. We're just going to do this emergency plastic surgery to her that's going to make it look absolutely 100% real that she's a wraith and she'll pass and then we'll just take it off later. Because there's not a there's not more more to being a wraith than the looks, but whatever. Okay. We even and gave her a feeding hand and, and, and no one's going to notice the difference. Yeah, right. <laughs> That is a lot of hair. That is a lot of hair. And they never explained how they accomplished it. I mean, at least on Star Trek, they had Star Trek medicine, right? You know, when they when they turned Troy into like a Vulcan or a Romulan, they had like Star Trek medicine to back that shit up, right? They did. They did not have Star Trek medicine on Stargate. No, they did not. And they had and they had not unlocked enough of the city yet to really have the good ancient medicine either. Just saying. So they just like pulled that wholesale out of their head. Out of their and ass. Expected us to not, <laughs> not out of their head. That's straight out of their ass because <laughs> and expected us to buy it. We'd have gotten further with it coming out of their head. Craziness. Um yeah, Todd uh, helped them do that, but how? How? How did Todd help them do that? 
it doesn't actually make any sense. So it, it's, it's even, and the thing is, even if they'd found a way to explain it, it still wouldn't fundamentally make any sense with the canon that they had. Because the canon they had put down about the Wraith Queens, they shouldn't have been able to have had somebody impersonating one. But anyway, in terms of the crystal arrays, it could be that, you know, the queens are the only ones who, or the, those trusted by the queens or something, are the only ones who know how to set them up. And it's part of their nego- their treaties with each other that only the queens are allowed to have these storage arrays and that uh, only the queen's hive is only is allowed to have an array and that they will never disclose to um or allow to them to exist on a hive where there isn't a queen um and that's that does solve quite a lot of problems because yeah if they were anywhere i on any ship it could it could definitely be that um you know, why bother hunting where I can just go invade this hive group and, and take their array? Yeah, take their food And stores. eat like a king. With no. lots of snacks. Not all hives have a queen. I would think... And see, the thing is, yeah, because there are hive groups. And a queen can have a whole bunch of hives in her group. But not all groups have a queen. Right? Because what if the queen gets killed? Does another queen just absorb all the hives in her group? Does the group go on as parasitic, kind of? Not they're not parasitic anyway, but the implication is is that without a hive, without a queen, that the hive group can't hold their territory, and um, another queen would take them over. They would be eventually assimilated, but there could still be like. rogue hives out there that are just scavenging for uh, you know honestly I don't know why a queen would make a queen which yeah, means I, I think know. that the queen doesn't have any control over when a queen is made not like in like insects um, I, I there's don't too think... much competition I don't think that they would have land because I would imagine that lanterns would be considered a a delicacy, okay? And I can't imagine them keeping a delicacy around for ten thousand, twenty thousand years. It just doesn't seem probable. I mean, you could you could write it, there's a lanterne or two in there, but I would think if they're if you're going on the idea that they're sorting their food stock, that they would know what they have. So I don't think would... the queens were raised by people or as people. I think that the Ella was that her name. She was like an anomaly. I, um, I imagine the queens are actually um, created and raised on that wraith world. But see, that, that doesn't make any sense because a hive can't be too big because they can just make another hive. Because queens don't have a single hive. They have hive groups. Of which they can have 10, 15, 20, even 100 ships if they wanted. And because they fight so much over territory. I don't think they can control when they. When they breed a queen. And they probably kill most of their female offspring anyway. Which is why Todd couldn't find the queen for his hive group. Yeah. So. What I would be anything anything you did with an idea like this, where you've got people coming out of these crystals, you know that you're dealing with, um, you would have just don't have anything come out 
that doesn't serve a purpose. So meaning that if you're going to have a Lantean that comes out, like an actual ancient that comes out of these crystals, like have it be, you need it for something because it throws complication in that may not serve your story. So like, you know, if you had, Oh, by the way, they picked up a Gould at some point and it pops out of the crystal. Well, if that, if that could just be a complication that doesn't actually take your story anywhere. And it doesn't make any sense. Because if the gold has, if, if there is one gold in Pegasus, there are a hundred. Right. And you could do something with, with, I'm saying you could do something with Atlantean in the crystal. I just don't have anything I would do with that. So it would throw a complication into the story that I wouldn't use for anything, which feels like it's a red herring. Because I don't actually I mean, like bringing Atlanteans into the story, actual Atlanteans into the story, because they're assholes. Because they're assholes, and it and it and it 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 creates it creates this ownership issue of who actually has the rights to Atlantis. So if you have a bunch of Atlanteans pop out of that crystal, you've just given yourself a whole new wave of complications that don't allow you to actually get the Satadans the Satadans settled, which would be my goal. And having Lanteans pop out of the crystals is contrary to that goal. So it's not something I would do. Well the thing is is if you're riding a sentient Atlantis, um she decides where she goes and and and, and who lives on her. And those assholes abandoned her. Well not if they were in the cold. In the water by herself. Not if they, she, but with if this she's human sent, woman who starved her for ten thousand years. But if she's sentient <laughs> slash sapient, she knows the people who were cold were not the ones responsible, and True. she would have to recognize their ownership of the city. Except she's a sentient sapient person, so she wouldn't recognize any ownership. Not she'd say, okay. Ownership. You can you can live here, but you're not the only one that gets to live here because I've got all these other people with the ATA gene, and they're just as important to me as you are. So you can stay. But she's not an arrogant asshole, or you my, can ascend. <laughs> but uh, I still think that if she's got some core programming that recognizes that they built the city, even if she's a she's, she's an autonomous AI, I mean, I wouldn't write the city ship thing, right? The the the, the living ship thing. Um, but this, that's my headcanon, so you're right. But that's a that's different where thing. I go automatically. But that's a completely different thing than than an AI that is that is sentient is a is a living ship is a completely different thing. So um but if she is sentient giving her that kind of programming um takes is is um, becomes an issue of body autonomy. Well it depends upon if she started sentient or became sentient. And if she became sentient then why wouldn't she have control over who's um, who gets to sleep on, on her on her on her body. Well <laughs> But if she's there to run the city and she goes, okay, these people built this, she sent it and she goes, and this would be what I look at it. These people were called before the rate, before the Lanteans ever abandoned this galaxy. They had no responsibility for me being left out here alone. Okay. They built, they built the city. So I'm, I'm not doing the, the, the living ship thing. They built the city. I, I would logically think that she would recognize that they have more rights in the decision-making process than literally anybody else. Even if she wanted to throw her weight behind, um, you know, the people from earth being allowed to remain on the city. I just say that for me, it throws complications in that I wouldn't deal with. If you want to deal with the complications of Lanteans popping out of those crystals, it just, it, it doesn't do anything for me except throw complication in for the sake of complication. And I don't, 
want to throw I wouldn't do a whole bunch of them, but there is one way you could do one. And it's ugly. It's probably uglier than the whole snack thing. Because what if they got the array technology and the ability to keep their food in storage? Because an ancient got caught, got cold, and he agreed, he or she agreed to give them technology to survive. And they double-crossed him and put him back in storage in case they needed him again. This would give whoever finds the technology, um, if it's basically ancient, it will be easier for the city to understand and work with. Yeah, and then the city, the city would probably not feel any particular. Um... But I don't like the ancients, so I wouldn't write a whole bunch of them anyway. And if I wrote one or two, they'd be evil. <laughs> yeah, that's just me. Because <laughs> they're dicks. Right. And that's what I'm just saying, when you're deciding, if you're writing an idea like this, not you specifically, but you, whoever, be careful when you're making decisions about what's going to pop out of those crystals, what they've stored, because whatever you bring out is something you have to deal with. And it could wind up implicitly putting more conflict in your story or more obstacles in your story than you want to actually deal with. So, you know, a couple hundred lanterns popping out is not an obstacle I actually would want to write. But then also, somewhere I said earlier, what if an Asgard popped out with genitals? Okay, that number one, where did that Asgard come from? Because um, the Asgard that are in Pegasus, the Lost Tribe, they're just like Thor. So, But you could have an Asgard pop out. But right. again, but again, when you say what if, so when you're asking your question, what if, is what does it do for your plot to throw this random thing in there? Now, I feel like in this kind of idea, it's complicated enough to get the Satidans set, settled on the city without throwing in a rogue Asgard and Atlantean here or there, because that all winds up being subplots. And just how long do you want this story to be? And if they're not subplots, then there's no point in bringing it up. The only reason you'd want to bring in, um, the only reason you'd want an Asgard to pop out is if you want to get help from the other Asgard. So you can say, you have an Asgard pop out. Well, you know, we actually could use their help. So it's good that you're here. <laughs> and that's very contrived. It's contrived and it's also still a subplot. So it's just, you have to be careful about how many, I would just be careful how many subplots you introduce into something that is like that. So if you really need an Asgard in there, but on the other hand, you could probably find another way to get the Asgard in that isn't quite as contrived as an Asgard being in the crystal. Like one of the things I did in Lantian Legacy is that the city actually has a treaty with the Asgard. Right. The city And could, you could write it is if the city has accepted these people as her new as as her new people, as her new Lantians, um, then she could call on that treaty to get help from the Asgard. The city could also um with her 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 intimate um avail you know access to ancients records on dna experiments and whatever be able to solve the asgard's cloning problem which could be a lever piece of leverage that they would have to get help from the asgard that's to me would still seem a, it's still you know functionally somewhat contrived but a little bit less so than than an asgard without dna problems randomly popping out of the crystals um because you have no way of explaining how he got there it she, right they 
And why and it, why wouldn't they have eaten it before now? Right? What could they not eat it? If they couldn't eat it, why would they store it? So you have to anything that has been um them, them. If it's just a single Asgard, it'd be a they, right? In mo well, them, they. Well, they were they refer to most of the in the show, most of the Asgard were, I guess, I don't know. Most of the Asgard well, referred to as, as he. Most of the Asgard and um, SG-1 are either voiced by Michael Shanks or by Terry R Rothel? Rothel? Dr. Frazier or Daniel Jackson. <laughs> anyway. And I think Thor is considered a he, but whatever. And Loki was referred to as he, but anyway. My point is, is that um, if you want to write crack, you can have anything. You can have anything and anybody you want to come out of this crystal. But that doesn't make sense. If they can't feed on the Asgard, why would they store it? Right. This is their food. This, basically, we're cracking up on their their refrigerator. Right. So either they stored a bunch of Asgard, so many of them that they never that there's like this one or two that are still in there. But that's a lot of Asgard to store. Um, you just kind of got to work through the logic of, I mean, I'm not saying they've got a FIFO system, you know, um, <laughs> with food rotation, but I actually would think that they would empty the crystals out in some kind of order. Like this one's been in storage the longest we're going to empty it first, because I would think that the crystals would eventually degrade. So they couldn't just store people indefinitely. indefinitely. So, I mean, which, which means the likelihood of, of them actually having an ancient in storage is really, it's really unlikely. It's been 10,000 years. Unless they take it, unless they take somebody out and call them again and put them back in storage. But I would think that there would be some cycling of the, through the crystals. I mean, even these, these crystals on Atlantis don't last forever. So, But if they had an ancient, they would probably have the city. True. I mean, how would you explain them not getting the city from that ancient? Unless the um, they they captured this ancient before the final location of the city was determined. So you know, so if this ancient, I mean, you could. There are ways to cover the plot holes. It's just like I said, I wouldn't have any. It wouldn't do anything for me, so I wouldn't even be making this attempt. Well, yes, some ray, some rays hibernate, but they don't all hibernate at the same time. We know that already because during the Great Hibernation, Satita was cold. There was a wraith. There was a calling on Athos while most of the wraith were asleep. So it's obvious that not all the wraith sleep at the same time. They call. They eat. They hibernate when food gets low. And there could actually be like an exchange. That's going to sound weird. There could actually be like a barter system around the system is whatever queen is about to go into hibernation and the one that is just waking up um, that they do an exchange of like that there's a rotation of like these crystals and they barter them so that um, the queens going into hibernation have um just some way that, you know, but I would still think that you could probably have these. Well, yes, yes, I understand the crystals don't last on Atlantis. They, they don't last on Atlantis from damage, but it's not just damage. Otherwise, they wouldn't have crystals that needing to be replaced. Um, on a, But clearly they can last 
quite a long time. I would imagine um, because these crystals would be in a, in a system that has this heat and there's power involved that the crystals would actually degrade physically at eventually. Yeah. At a very predictable rate. But it, and you could set that as like a thousand years or 2000 years or whatever, but it, that at some point they're going to have to um, cycle these things through. But anyway. place those crystals. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make, because crystals are not like, it isn't like, I mean, even diamonds can be broken. Obviously. So these crystals would not be indestructible. And they would be weak to, they, they would be susceptible to, to wear and tear. Even if you didn't do crystals, if you did something else, you still have to work through the logistics of this kind of thing. So um, I would imagine that there's, you know, that they, you know, it could be that they store enough into the, for however long they're going to hibernate. They put their crystal, they put their, their food stores like fresh into new crystals right before they hibernate. So that they have food when they wake up and then they replace all the crystals. So, you know, it, it you just, it's just it's just something to consider. I I would not want to be the one that would have to tell the people in Pegasus that their grandparents were listed as snacks. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's ugly. I know it's ugly. I know. <laughs> I've been ruined. <laughs> if you didn't want to write that there are a bunch of these things. Like I said, you could you could have it like the, the the only the queens have them, which would put it as not many. I mean, not as many as it would be if every single hive had one, um, which which I think would cause a lot of infighting. Um, they probably fight each other more than they would call. They they they, they find out somebody calls Tito. Well, we need to go take their ship <laughs> because they've got a lot of food that we don't have to work for. Mm -hmm. And actually, what's one of the things you could do is that. Um, that the reason why the Satinans are around longer, you know, because if they wake up and they eat the food that's in storage and then they go cull more and then you have this problem with all the wraith waking up. If, but if their normal pattern is they wake up from hibernation, they eat the food that's in storage, they go cull more food to put in storage. And it's sort of like, you know, they're like chipmunks, you know, they eat their winter storage and then they go store more food for winter. But anyway, so let's say that you... That that's so the thing. What, but what if what if the queen who who har who called Satita because Satita was more heavily populated than most planets, she has she's bursting at the seams with food stores, basically, and she's there. She's not inclined to share, so her hive group has a particularly large amount of food. And what what if Satita? And they were probably, you know, Cicito was a big job, right? So there was probably more than one hive group involved in that. I mean, they went full force. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Um, and what if one of the hive groups, this would be a good way to cut down the number of people that you have in the, in the, the array, um, went off and hibernated. They had their food store full. As ugly as this is, their, their bellies were full too. They, they'd had a good day on the job. And they go find their spot to hibernate. And so, and maybe, I mean, we don't know where the race hibernate. 
maybe they hibernate on planets. Maybe they maybe they hide on planets that don't have gates to hibernate. Um, because their ships are organic anyway. So what if McKay and Shepard are in a jumper and they go through they're on a planet and Rodney notices um, that there's another planet in the system that supports life and he finds a race signal. Maybe they were originally there looking for a race signal like Ronan's and they find this race signal. They use a jumper to go over there and they find that hive group hibernating. And they find that array and it's ancient or whatever. It's either cannibalized ancient technology or technology that, that, that they forced an ancient to build for them. Um, and they find this array and it looks familiar. It looks like what Rodney experienced when he, when he finally got him and Cadman out of the, the culling beam, right? And he realizes it has all these people in it. And so they take it while this hive group is asleep. They just take all the crystals and run. And then they get back to Atlantis with it. And they have, and they're like, what the hell is this? And we're like, we, 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 we think it's people. We don't know. We have to figure this out. And that's how it starts. That works. Because that means, I mean, it's like, it's number one, that, that they have some really valuable information out of this one. They figured out that, you know, that certain ships in a hive group um, have food storage Um which is disgusting, but okay, right? And then they also find out that rays are hibernating on planets. Which makes sense, because they wouldn't want to hibernate in space. Yeah, and they might be prepared. And at this rate, that they might have systems set up, so if another race ship enters the sector that, one, that someone will wake up, but they might not even notice the jumper. Well, don't we have, in canon, don't we see race, race hives on planets? Mm-hmm. So that would make sense that they, especially if they'd be on planets without gates. Um, and that um, John flies a jumper all the way into the race hive in the first season and sets off a nuclear weapon and doesn't, and they, and they never even notice. They don't know why that shit blew up. They never noticed the jumper. So it's, it's canon that the jumper can slide in and out of a race hive without getting caught. He did it in the first episode with, with Sumner. They, they, well, they, they did it in that the, jumper right in there, and then they did it again with the bomb. Yeah, in the siege, yeah, with with the with the jumper as a delivery vehicle for the bomb. Um, although they can't they can't use that trick repeatedly. There'd be no jumpers left if they keep packing them all. You know, right? So if John and Rodney are too, well, obviously they would not go down to a planet with a ray signal uncloaked. So they would go in cloaked. They would find this ray hive on the ground, um, and then go from there. And obviously, it'd be the queen ship. And at a certain point, you know, John's going to have to really have a really a, a come to Jesus meeting with Todd. Like, what the fuck is this? Todd. Is they're going to need an, a a source from the the race to get the lowdown on all that stuff? You know, they're not yeah. going to know that there isn't a, a one of these arrays on every ship unless somebody tells them. And so, it, so it has to be Todd. I mean, I guess it could be somebody else, but you know. Well, opinion. actually, actually, the um, it could be something that the for people in Pegasus could be very logical to them. It's like, well, if if they're storing food, it would have to be only on the Queen's ship, because there'd be too much infighting if they were storing food on all the ships. It's just that's not the way the yeah, way but they work. um, they'd have to get there. 
they, they would have to get there. You know, it would be really interesting to do it that way because that way your um um your beginning is quiet and kind of like um mysterious and they're like what the hell and they're sneaking around a race ship and it's kind of like john and rodney on an adventure and then they find this and john's appalled and rodney's kind of excited and then he's scared then he's appalled and they steal it and they leave the question becomes is do they blow that shit up on their way out <laughs> i mean do they take that risk knowing what they got on their on board because it's not just them anymore because they would speculate that there are probably tens of thousands of people in this array on, on these crystals. Do they do they risk getting caught to blow it up? Do they have the equipment on board to blow up the engine outside of using a drone? Is it the only hive on the ship? I mean, I'm on the planet. Are they sure? How 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 fast would it take them to mobilize? Could it launch a dart from the ground? So they're going to have to like, you know, so I, personally, I would have them sneak back out, sneak out and run like they've been stampeded and <laughs> hit that jumper, get up into the atmosphere, get into space and hit that and hit the nearest, you know, and you'll go back to that planet they were on, go through the gate and leave because it's like it, it becomes a, it becomes a rescue mission and they don't want, I, I wouldn't want them to, antagonize because once the race realize that their food storage has been stolen it's gonna be balls to the wall if they got yeah, balls they're gonna be furious it's like all that work all that sorting i mean ronnie can say look 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 let's get them back and then we'll come back with a couple of jumpers and if that ship is still on the planet you can blow it up then because at that point, it wouldn't just be them. It would be the potential of all those lives in those crystals. And they don't know who they are yet. But when you go from two dudes on what was probably going to be like a little cakewalk fun mission to having the lives of twenty or 30,000 people in their hands in a bag, it's immense. Yeah. It was a date. <laughs> it was a stealth date. <laughs> What do you two get up to when you're off? I, I don't understand. I don't understand. <laughs> you go on a date. And you come back with this. I'm not mad, John. I'm, I'm not. I just don't know if you should be able to leave the, the, the city again. Because I don't know what you'll come back with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> John, no. <laughs> but I do think that if they recognize, if, you know, what it is, and and Rodney recognizes those signals, and if, if, it, and if you do this post-duet, I think he would. I think that would give him just the right knowledge he needs to see that in these crystals, he's seeing the exact same thing he saw when he, when he was trying to get Cadman's body out of that wraith dart. And he would realize that there were not, it wasn't just one, that there will be thousands upon thousands upon thousands of these. And that that's people. That's a population. That's a whole planet. It could be a whole planet in, um, you know, in his brain because he wouldn't be thinking of Satita. That was seven years ago, eight years ago, nine years ago, depending on when you put it in canon, right? Um, he wouldn't be automatically thinking of Satita. No. 
he would be thinking, this is the population of a planet, John. We need to go. We need to go right now. Don't drop it. Dawn. <laughs> we went the whole night without that. Not one person brought up Solent Green until now. Two out, th two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. Should have brought, we we brought, brought that up when we were talking about Hannibal. Right? Two and a half hours. <laughs> Ellie was having some, some epic restraint. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that would be, that's how I would start it. With them just, you know, just, just them being John Rodney. You know, just doing their thing. And maybe they think it's a, a, a runner signal. So they're going to go rescue him. Because that's the kind of assholes they are. Um, well, not assholes. But, you know, they're, 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 they're going off without a plan. They didn't call anybody. They didn't even go back. You know, they didn't, you know, dial Atlantis and say, hey, we found something weird. They just, like, let's just go look. And they go look because they're assholes. And um, maybe they're hoping it's a runner. Or, um Todd, so they can kill him, whatever. And it turns out to be this queen's ship. And because they're two dudes, they keep going. Because that's just what they do. Another way, way for it to happen would be... This is a little harder. John's team's on a mission. And McKay gets called. Six months later... Ouch, six months. Yeah, you need, you need to build it up for this. Six months later, they're they're on a planet, um, and there's a queen ship in, in um in orbit, and the jumper starts pinging John. Um and he notices that for the first time in six months, the jumper is recognizing all four of his team members. And he realizes that Rodney's in orbit. So of course he cloaks. He goes up there. And it's a queen ship. And maybe he even finds Rodney. Um, um, before he ends up a meal. But McKay refuses to leave. Because he saw what he came out of. And he realizes he's been in storage for six months. And he refuses to leave. Without the, um, the crystals from this device. And so they take them. And. It turns out to be a whole bunch of people and some of them are, and the majority of them are from Satita, but not all of them. It doesn't have to be Rodney that's um, cold. I think it works best if it's him because he would make the immediate connection about where he came from and what it meant and how long it had been. And he would recognize the potential of the crystal storage because of his experience in, um, with the Wraith Dart and coming out of it. It's just, you know, uh, that's an idea as well. I think you need Rodney there in that scene to kind of like make all those really quick assessments. Like, I think any four of them could figure it out because they're all smart. But if you want someone to make those intuitive, really snappy, you know, really snappy snap decisions in seconds, I think it has to be a McKay. Yeah, I agree. Like m maybe making the, the, the decision faster than they can. That, that he even didn't comprehend get, what you know that yeah that he could even explain it to them it's like okay this 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 take all this we need all this we need all of it and not even let them argue just I, we're, i'm not leaving without it it has to come with me you know 
and not even explain himself until they get back to Atlantis. Now, at that point, I think that Ronan would probably have the most experience with race ships. And so he'd be asking, have you ever seen anything like this before? And maybe Ronan hasn't. And maybe Taylor has. Why would Taylor have seen it? Because Taylor was on a queen's ship. When she was called on Athos, they were on a queen's ship. True, so she could have seen it. Maybe yeah. not understood what it was. Because she wouldn't have had any exposure at that point to ancient technology or crystal technology. But in retrospect, seeing that, she probably, you know, she would have that in her memory that she had seen that on the, on the queen ship that took them off, it, on, on, off Athos. And together they put this puzzle together and they, rec you know, what, what it means. They blew up the ship that, um, didn't they? No. What happened to that keeper ship? I know he killed the queen and they left it. Um, I thought it would still be in orbit around Athos. No. But I mean, well, here's the funny thing of where Fanon and Cannon might be utterly corrupted in my brain because I know I've read stories where they blow the fuck out of that ship. Um, I'll blow it up. But you know, I don't know. I don't, Atlantis, but I don't remember I don't, what don't happened remember to it in Cannon. Yeah, I don't remember. They blew it up in Cannon? I remember that kind of forward setting the charges. I, yeah, I kind of remember that. I think I, th I think that's why I had him and Cadman do it in Sentinels of Atlantis. It would depend on whether or not Taylor had already been exposed to Todd and helped Todd. It would depend on where you set it in the SGA canon as whether or not she would have that experience as having been queen. But I think if she'd already been on a ship and she'd seen one of those arrays and knew what it was for, she wouldn't have helped Todd. Todd wouldn't have made it alive. So I would set it before that. So that it will so this will all be new information. Yeah. And also at this point, they've only destroyed I think one queen's hive, and that was the keeper's queen. I'm um, the, the keeper's hive, right? Because we don't see another queen until well, there was the queen um there was the queen that was part of the ne negotiations with Weir and that hive ship was destroyed in the Milky Way. And it probably would have would have had an array as well. But the other hive ships, we don't know for sure if they had queens on them or not. Cut down on the angst a little bit. But even then, like I said before, I'd rather be, you know, I'm, I'm disappearing into a culling beam and never know another word or another moment than wake up somebody's food. And at least Hannibal has the good taste to kill his prey before he eats them. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> the wraith makes you live through it. <laughs> That's just ugly. Thank you, Hannibal, for being decent. <laughs> well, he's he's very polite. I think he'd find the wraith very rude. <laughs> But, but I, you know, I, I, I am. I, I will never. I don't worry, you guys. I will not be writing in the Hannibal fandom. Probably, I, I can't handle the cooking. <laughs> you could, you could. I could, the thing is, I you can't handle the cooking now. But you could totally go on an, on a research binge and solve the fuck out of that. <laughs> but 
I have to just re really deeply invest myself in watching um, Alton Brown on YouTube. <laughs> but uh, I think it would actually it would be um, a, a, re a really interesting thing. And I probably focus more on um, relationships and um, creating a community versus the politics that that could come out of it. Yeah. I think I think I think it could be a very interesting um, take on, and, and also to just I really like I said earlier just to really give something back to Ronan. That's why I'd want to do it with the Satedans is because um, the opportunity to give him something back because he was so, you know, he'd found and he'd made a family with the the people of Atlantis, but on, but in some way more so than anybody else in this in the show he was so adrift you know um i think that i would want the child to have already been born um and that maybe he was called with his grandmother you mean the one that snacks yeah she would be one of the snacks and hopefully she'd be one of the snacks that survived but it would depend on the writer um and then maybe he would get his grandmother and his son back. I'm pretty sure I came close once to summoning a demon while I was cooking when I tried to make a uh, chocolate lava cake. It didn't go well. It didn't go well. I mean, the hesitation was real. Mm-hmm. Like, are you sure we should? No, we probably shouldn't. <laughs> let's just let's just poke it with a knife and see what happens. <laughs> I kind of like the idea. Well, <laughs> Ellie, we can't let you cook any more cake. I don't I even want to know how you accomplished that. It exploded. What did you put in the cake? <laughs> did you did you make a mistake with the baking soda? Um, do we even want to know what was in that cake? Did you, get, did you get your ratios wrong? Did you accidentally make a cake volcano instead of a cake? Cake cano. <laughs> when they joke about people who can boil water. <laughs> Ellie's making cakes explode. So, yeah, giving Ronan back, you know, um, uh, anything. Um, yeah. Is a plus. It's getting worse by the minute. What's getting worse room. by the minute? I, I think I was off looking at something, and <laughs> yeah, I can see why they don't let you in the kitchen, Ellie. I wouldn't let you in the kitchen either. Yeah, you're like you're banned from my kitchen, and you've never even been in my house. But just just to let you know, making mental note not, that if, if you ever were in the house, you're totally banned. You're not allowed in the you're kitchen. Not, <laughs> I'm allowed to breathe in the direction of the kitchen. <laughs> or to be on the same continent with Hearst, because I think that could end up actually causing um, an extinction level event. A different kind of Ellie. Um, what do you see as a pairing? Well, if I had, one of my thoughts was if I had gone down 
one of the tangents that we went down for my November plot drift bounce thing. Remember when I mm-hmm. said that the pairing would be Ronan? Mm-hmm. That I could have oh, totally well. gone. I totally could have gone that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it could also explain. It could also handle the issue of how they know about it. Because he, that's one of the things that he, you know, Tony could be going, okay, guys, this is a dick move. That you guys are sitting up here and you know that there are all these people in these being stored and, and you're not saying anything. Dick move. He could be thinking it. He wouldn't actually say it because we've, we, we've talked about that, that we've got Slytherin Tony going on. Um, he's great undercover work. He is, and he is. He spends, you know, good year undercover, which, based upon the timeline, would be, you know, right around the right time ish to to get, you know, Ronan Spadey at baby out of cold storage. So, anyway, yeah. So I think, I mean, I would be interested in writing Tony Ronan. I think, well, of course, in John Rodney, naturally. Mm-hmm. Well, I would, naturally. Because they're going to get a baby, so they they got a co-parent. Co-parenting, it's a thing. Baking is fucking science, man. Cooking is black magic, but baking is fucking science. So I don't know what's wrong with Ellie, but um, <laughs> I mean, I feel like she probably made a mistake with the baking soda versus the baking powder. That's the one explain why it blew up. Because baking soda is very reactive. I make whole things that are just made with baking soda and they don't blow up. You you don't have Ellie's magic, though. Uh, that's one way of putting it. <laughs> I mean... Like, that's the... I mean, it, it has to have something to do with the leavening and you, and you don't put yeast in a cake. Did, did you put yeast in the cake? You, I was going to say, did you put yeast in the cake? <laughs> Because you don't put yeast in cake. <laughs> um, it's really interesting, you know, the, the whole idea of of the race and um, food storage. I'd never pondered race food storage, but the thing is, canon gives us the germ of that idea with the fact that they store their food. Calling beam. Yeah, yeah, the calling beam, the storage. Yeah, it's, they store it at least temporarily. So there's nothing that says, I mean. It must be very heartbreaking at some points to people coming out of the calling beam. Um, they would have gone in in a state of war and they come out and their their planet, their society has been destroyed. Um, I think that someone said earlier, the Heitmeyer would be very busy. Um I think you, they would actually have to import like thousands upon thousands of therapists from Earth to deal with this. Or like people from Pegasus, like, look, do, do any of you have any experience with mental health? Because we expect the suicide rate to be quite high. So we need your help to get these people out, to get them stable, Do you think to the give suicide, them a life again. Do you think the suicide rate would be quite high? I think for some people, it would be very high. I think that if you got called on Satita and you got pulled out of storage on Atlantis eight, nine years later, 
and you have no family left. Your, your children are gone. Your parents are gone. The hopelessness would be overwhelming. I mean, because you, when you look at grief, grief in itself, grieving one person is agonizing. Grieving your whole family is an extra level of agonizing. But then there are only that, but they're, but, but they're grieving their neighbors and their friends and their co-workers. They're, they're grieving their whole fucking society. And they're on a new world. On the city of the ancients. Which is honestly no better than living in the um, ex-home of a death cult. Yeah. I think that um, suicide would be an issue. Um, ascension would be an issue. Um, ancient worship would be an issue. Uh, I just... There are lots of emotional issues at play there. I think there are some people who could not handle the loss of their spouse and their children and their parents and their friends and their coworkers. And it's just, it would be just too much. The, the human psyche is very delicate. And the thing is, is that once one person did it, it would start to look like a solution to a lot. Grief plus failure to adapt. Then there would be those who would be so hostile and so ready for war, it would be their only goal. That's bleak. I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there will be some who'd be thrilled to come out and be alive and they would be happy and they would get their kids back, right? And and they would, it, it would be everything they could possibly want. But then there will be others. It would be impossible to make everybody that happy. It wouldn't be realistic. There would be anger and grief and sadness and in, in desolation and jealousy like why does she get her husband back but I don't why does she get her kids back but I don't I don't think they would resent Ronan um, that doesn't make any sense I mean he is just as much a victim of the calling of Satita as the rest of them um, he actually had a harder road he was on the hunt he was he he was a runner for seven years while they were sitting in data storage so i don't think resentment i think they might look to ronan for um answers but where would the resentment come from would they really be jealous of the fact that he got to live outside the storage unit for seven years on the run from the wraith with a tracker in his back. Those are not the circumstances to envy. But I think the high emotional stakes would probably slow down the migration of people coming out of the... Well, yeah, on those circumstances that, you know, there will be people who would be jealous that he gets his son back and they don't get their children back. But Ronnie wouldn't be the only one getting his child back. There, there will be plenty of adults coming out of that system that would have children probably in the beam or in the system as well so especially if, if if they were called together yeah but, but then there would be those who won't get their children back because their children have already been eaten well if more than one hive group went up against satita um I mean, that could actually also be a problem that they'd sit there thinking either are there 
double our number sitting with another queen right now or are there are are they or have they already all been eaten right have they been traded amongst the hives and then because the question is when do you give up when do you give up finding your loved one because in pegasus calling equals death but this discovery would would change that because then suddenly not all calling would equal death and for some people that that would be too much well and how and, and how do they how do they deal with that right do they so plan it so that the people on you know this would be season two or three ish and they have people coming to them maybe all the time now saying you know this planet we we had some people from our planet called you know can we find them can we get them back do we know if they're dead and it would be a really difficult um because the only answer to that question is i don't know and it puts the you know the city is going to be very busy with trying to deal with all of these people they're getting out of these crystals and at some point they're going to they're going to be you know how do they like we don't have the resources to just kind of try to do all these rescue missions because at some point it can't just be reactionary right It could be that this is where you um, start to form the coalition before the coalition gets to start to form without Atlantis. And so um, this is before is this is before the replicator mess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so you can avoid that. Um, so you don't have the coalition looking at the city like they're the enemy. So if Atlantis is part of the creation of the coalition, um, a part of the coalition's goals could be to find and neutralize queen ships to get these um, these food stores back um, so that the people on Atlantis can help get their people out. They start to coordinate attacks, start to coordinate intelligence. Okay, we have a queen here. She has 18 hive ships in her group. They called here, here, and here over the last six months. That's a kind of intelligence operation that's years in the making, though. So it would be like, we know what they're doing. Yeah, you'd probably tell it at least. I mean, I think the first one would be a novel. I think it'd be big. So maybe even like getting it towards like a really like epic length novel, like 100,000 100, to 120,000 words. Mm -hmm. And then you got the setup and then you do a time skip to show how, the, you know, and, and then do another a second book that shows the evolution of, you know, they've got these programs in place, they've got the, this council or coalition, and they're making these decisions about where they go and what they're, and they're doing like surgical strikes on um, these queen ships to try to, um, and it may be, and you might want to show that it, it's produced a tactical advantage that it throws the wraith into disarray. And um, when, when the queen ships are taken out and, and so they've, maybe they bring in some special teams that are trained specifically for this. Like they could have SEAL teams on the city that this is what they now specialize in is going in covertly to get, you know, weapons, explosives onto these, um, the queen hives. And, you know, so you had, could do like a lot of a very different vibe in, in the second story um, where they're, you know, sort of like go, taking it to the wraith, like a boss kind of thing. And, and, It'd be a lot and, of fun. 
And the facility to do that is is entrenched in um, them being able to get the power to get Atlantis' systems online to make more weapons to which and you know it's like the dominoes fall. That's 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 the ripple effect. There is the Satedans are the ones that get out of the culling beam or out of the storage crystals. The Satedans know where there are ZPMs. The ZPMs enable all of this stuff to happen, and and then it eventually leads to a completely different kind of campaign against the Wraith in the Pegasus Galaxy. Because. You could bring in people from Earth to teach the Satedans guerrilla warfare. Because they would be acting like guerrillas. It couldn't be like um, full-out offensives the way the ancients did it. It would have to be offensive instead of defensive. In the Satedans defenses, their systems on, on was obviously they were in a defensive position. You gotta put them on the offensive position. Um, and humans make war we're we're good at it, mm-hmm. and so they teach that spreads. They have their allies doing intelligence missions, figuring out where people are, figuring out where queens are, um, keeping track of how ships call. Maybe they're figuring out how to tag. Um, uh, darts so they can track red groups. Meanwhile, Rodney is looking at technology, trying to figure out how to prevent them from culling, how to how to neutralize a culling beam, and how to take down uh, darts on the spot and pull people out of the cull, like, in the moment. Mm-hmm. Like, have, like, technology set up where you can you just insert and you're going to spit your people back out. Um, just, you know, on all out front, on every front, not just like one, not like we're, we're going to do infiltration. We're going to do outright attacks. We're going to bring it to them on the ground. We're going to prevent them from culling. We're going to take out their darts. Operation Extinction. To quote Hudson, we're going on a bug hunt. <laughs> <laughs> Just another bug hunt. I mean, because that's the that's that's the way you win that. Yeah, you can't do it half. You have to go whole hog, whole hog on it. Because the whole Pegasus Galley galaxy has been defensive. They're they're they've been constantly on the defensive forever. How long the wraith have existed, and the ancients abandoned them to it. Yeah, exactly. And that actually could be like another reason not to have um, Alterans popping out of the beam. Is I don't think that the people in the Pegasus Galaxy are going to feel particularly friendly towards them. No, not once it becomes clear and known that they that they actually created the wraith. Yeah. To pursue their selfish aims of ascension, which is just disgusting. Well, I don't think, I don't think you can, I mean, the survivors, you can, you, SEAL teams are a very specific type of thing. Um, and I don't think you could just, as good as, I would actually think if you're going to have effective SEAL teams in Pegasus, they'd probably come out as a team and you wouldn't just slot in random people 
But what you could do is John could pick people out of the Satedans to send back to Earth to train. It's true. Yeah. Well, and they could they could train them in you know even on Atlantis they could get them yeah. some level of training. But if they wanted them to actually have like full on like seal level training, they'd have to send them back. Or they have to set up a facility on the mainland that's run by people who train special operations soldiers from Earth. Which they could do. You can train them to be snipers. You could train them to um, infiltration um, um, and teach them how to disable hives so they can't move until they're ready for them to move. Um, so there's, you know, there, there's all kinds of um, moving parts in an operation like this. It would be technology instruction, weapons instruction, um, warfare instruction, um, military conditioning. Uh, and it would just, you, it would take a lot, but if they go all in, that's how you beat the race. Well, maybe they don't want to, you know, send their people to Earth. Well, they don't have to. The Earth can come to them, so to speak. Because there are certain people on this planet, if you told them, hey, would you like to go to another galaxy? Yes, wait. I'm not quite done. Do you want to go to another galaxy to train people to kill bug aliens who want to eat us? I already said yes. <laughs> Let me get my coat. <laughs> What? <laughs> you have me at hello. <laughs> There's a line in um, Finding Atlantis where John said that Declan Frost came to um, Atlantis to kill race because they eat people and that offends him. <laughs> and I think that's probably actually kind of accurate there are probably people in our military industrial complex that would be like they eat people they eat people well when can i leave because they eat people and that's like that's a visceral there's a visceral disgust when you think about it that they suck the life out of children mm -hmm. and old people mm -hmm. and young people all people God, there could be a terrible joke about the whole snack size things because it's like snack size. And he goes, well, contextually, when it comes to wraith feedings, snack size is not what you think it is. <laughs> the point being is I don't think they would have a hard time staffing their training facility. No, not at all. <laughs> I think they that might, they would they might actually have a hard time getting people to stay on the planet to train versus going out to try to kill Wraith. There could be issues. But that would give you an opportunity to do some multi-crossovers. Like you could pull like characters from individual fandoms that you like to play with. Ian Edgerton. <laughs> <laughs> Are you hearing me? Because you know the, the Wraith are more than just a threat to Pegasus. Um, because all the Wraith woke up. And so they're calling planets to extinction. And they're running out of food. Well, yeah. Which means some queens could be filling up their... Storage. For an intergalactic trip. 
Well, you would think that they would absolutely be wanting to do that. So this is the so so it would be like okay, not only are they a, are they a threat in Pegasus where they're eating people, but there's every possibility that 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 they're going to be heading for Earth in the next five years. Which was always what they wanted to do, right? I mean, from the minute they captured Sumner. Yeah. Um, but it would be yeah, it would be interesting. It's a very it's a, the idea is huge though. I mean, it's not it's not just like one small novel, and it isn't even just one big novel it's like several big novels yeah and i do think the pacing of it means that it kind of has to be um i think if you wanted to tell it in episodes you'd have to, it would take a very careful plotting i don't think you could pants something like this i mean there's too many moving parts and there are too many like there's like these subplots and um, there's a lot of intricate things going on. So you would have to um, plot your episode and plot it into your plot arc for your season. So you would need like three plots. You would need three zero drafts. You would need, well, not including the episodes, but you would need a zero draft for each, like if you did like, if you spread it out over three seasons, for instance, you'd need a zero draft for each season then you'd need a zero draft for the whole thing. Like, so, so that you're telling, like, one big story. And then you would probably need to at least have summaries for each episode within each season. I don't think I'd want to tell it episodically, though. Um, no. No, not really, either. It, it doesn't yeah. lend... I, don't, I think it lends itself to probably a series of novels and i would i would actually think probably my 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 gut reaction is three novels like a three novels a series three novel mm -hmm. art um but you could tell it also in novellas um although i do if think you, that first story is going to be novel length it's just that's if, you, um, if you did novels and you did three novels you did trilogy you would need four zero drafts because i really do things that you need a oh, zero yeah, you, draft of the whole thing you do you need to have you need to understand the entire plot arc on mm -hmm. something like that before you get started you need to know where you're going to start in book one and where you're going to end in book three, which means you need a, a, a zero draft that encompasses your entire trilogy. And then you would need zero drafts for each one of your, of your books. Honestly, you probably have 50 K of just zero drafting. I would, <laughs> I would have 50 K of zero drafting <laughs> for something like this. I don't know that I'd have 50 K, but it would be a lot. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it would be a lot. It, it, because, yeah, you do have to know your entire arc. And if you don't know your entire arc, you can't well, just finish You can't just finish one novel and then put it out and then hope you can figure out the rest. Um, which is why something, an idea that big is it would be a struggle for, I, I would think, to pants. Unless you're going to write all the novels and finish them all before you post the first one. Which would be difficult. I mean, to be honestly, it'd be difficult. Even would for be me, difficult. I'd be like, I can't, I can't, I can't wait. I have to show it to you. Look at you guys. Look at this. Look what I did. <laughs> it'd be. And I honestly, I don't know many people that can hold on to three novels. Um, well, two novels while they finish up the third, and then you go back. And the thing is, then you've done this epic write fest, and you've you've made notes about all the things you need to weave back in, and then you've got because of the pantsing element, you've got to go back in, and you've got a an epic edit, an epic edit.
to, to get those the foreshadowing done for the stuff in the first book that you need to lay the groundwork for, for stuff that doesn't come out of the third book, and to make sure you pull the threads correctly. So uh, this is one of the reasons why, you know, epics, like like big series, is a, it can be a you know a real struggle for pantsers and well although we all know there are pantsers who have pants series and it shows we all know it later on we're like okay that's pants then because it and okay. I'm not talking about fan fiction I'm talking about no. you know Song of Ice and Fire and and Harry Potter okay we all know what I'm talking about and and it, it doesn't mean it's because most people don't sit on multiple finished novels while they finish pantsing the rest of their series so they can go back and it's just not an exercise that most people engage in and and those problems were really glaring so i opened up my unleash your demons um zero draft and it was 7k and that ended up being 110k so let's say for instance if i'd have been 125 130k i might have ended up with 8,000 words in my zero draft times four that's what my zero drafting would look like for this series. So that's what 16, 15. 8,000 times four is what? <laughs> just 30, 42, 42, 36, 30, 36, 30, 36. 30, See, tell you it's 30, math. 30, 32. 32. I was like, I was saying, I thought it was 32. What all these numbers? I don't understand all these numbers. I, I suffer from dyscalculia and it's pretty bad. So, no, I get um, you. I, I, I know, I know. It was, it was, the, it was, the, it was the 30. Honestly, it was the 36. So, that's, that's, so, so 50K is a little high on the estimate. 32,000. That's not including character profiles um, or any world building that I might have to do on the side. Yeah, the three novels, the three novel series, um, I think is, is would where this is where it just, and, and it just without any without having sat down to kind of figure it out that's what it would feel like to me it would be a three novel series or at least two i just couldn't so tell you the to, story like and what your um where you would divide it like um like if you if, if you look at the arc of the whole series it would be like um your book one is your foundation so that's where most of your world building is going to take place. Mm -hmm. uh, and then your book two and your book three would be essentially the climax and the falling action for your trilogy. And so most of the victory over the race would take place in book three. But there would have to be a moment in book two where the tide turned. And that would be the climax of your trilogy. Where the tide turned and it became clear to your reader that the that the that the coalition was on the right path to to winning the war against the race yeah it's a huge project though yeah it's enormous um i was sitting thinking of all the ideas i've ever even like pondered um it's, it's very big uh, it's one of the biggest yeah not the biggest. <laughs> I can't say that, but it's one of the biggest. I mean, emergence is pretty big. <laughs> God, the full arc for that is just like, bleh. ugh. And um, intuitive is pretty big. But well, not this big. It, but it's pretty big. No, it's pretty big. But yeah, no, it's not this big. Even the arc for Atlantis Codex isn't this big. So we plotted something Stargate-ish. 
and not just Stargate-ish, but actually Stargate. Because Stargate-ish <laughs> could have been, you know, like just about anything. Anything. Anything Ish. that anything that dealt with wormholes. <laughs> or Jack O'Neill or a Stargate-ish. <laughs> we didn't even specially we didn't even specify Stargate Atlantis-ish. We just said, no. <laughs> I mean, I think it's, I think it, yeah. I mean, it, it's huge. But sometimes, you know, you you take a very small premise like John and Rodney find a baby, <laughs> and it turns into John and Rodney find a whole society living in a crystal, <laughs> yeah, or sleeping in a crystal. <laughs> and that's the difference, you know. And there is a difference between like a premise and an idea, right? So, like, you've got a premise. So many different ways to approach John and Rodney come home with a baby. Um, and eventually, in this story, they, they do get a baby. They do get a baby, it's, it, which is a little bit different than they just found a baby abandoned off-world or something like that. Um, Although it would be interesting to write one where John and Rodney come across a planet that has been cold, and the only survivor is a baby. That would be interesting. But so, premise, John and Rodney come home with a baby. That's not really, it, it's it's a premise. So, so this is like the difference between a premise and an idea. And so we got the premise the idea is what we came up with, you know, like one of, one of the ideas we came up with those, those would be like more into fully formed ideas. Um, and I think that's also a lot of times a premise is just basically a trope. Yeah. You know, John and Ronnie come home with a baby, you know, or it could be a very specific thematic element. Like, um, um, John has wings. Yeah, or um, Harry Potter gets a better childhood. That's both trope and it's a, that better childhood. That kind of thing is also a thematic element. Um, but it is it is it is so vague that there's a bazillion different directions you could go with it. Okay, so. The premise is Harry Potter has a better childhood. Your idea is how he gets it. Whether yeah. you have serious get out of jail or never go to Azkaban or whether Harry gets raised by Marticia Adams. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever yeah, there's, lots of, there's lots of different ways to approach that. So, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's huge though. Good luck with it. I, I, I look forward to reading your efforts. <laughs> Did you just say good luck with it? <laughs> I feel like she just passed the buck. <laughs> I I passed the whole wallet. What? <laughs> <laughs> you already have a pairing. <laughs> I have I have I, I'd have to work out a different way to get Tony there though. It well, could be a, no, it could I, be. A I would have to say. That what? you've never written Tony as a um, agent afloat on Atlantis, have you? Full blown, just uh, just agent afloat doing his job. No, I don't think so. Maybe he's already in a relationship with Ronnie when they find the crystal. Well, yeah, that would be that. I think that would that would actually be really good because that way there's not because I don't think Ronan would would like find the crystal and then get into a relationship. I think that would be because I think it would bring up. 
I think if he's already in a relationship, he's, he's, he's used to relying on this person emotionally. And when the grief about the loss of his wife and stuff comes back up, it's not crippling, right? As right. But then he also has to have that little moment of anxiety. It's like, what, you know, whether or not this, this new relationship he has, which can be either a little new or a lot new, or maybe not quite new, maybe six months old, can he's like, okay, I, it was just me and my emotional burden of seven years fighting the wraith. Now it's me and my emotional burden of fighting the wraith for seven years and my infant son. Is this going to be too much? And I really like the idea of Tony being like all in. <laughs> yeah, he's like, of course it's not too much, dude. Too give, much. Me that, give me that baby. <laughs> give me that kid. <laughs> I'm already putting the nursery. Shut up. <laughs> Are there traditional I'm really colors? Sorry, in your wife wasn't. I mean, also there would be some angsty moments when they're waiting to figure um, to find out if his wife is in the crystal. If his wife is there. Yeah, and that could be like a that'd be a very difficult conversation that they would have to have. Is like, what if your wife's in there? And Tony could be like, look, you know, dude. I love you, but I wouldn't stand in the way of that. There, there's not going to be any anger or aggression from me from on that issue. That's just, it is what it is. Yeah. Maybe she'll like me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I could even write it that he, you know, Ronan could say that threesomes are not, you know, triads are not unheard of on Sedata. Um, and that, you know, give some sort of colloquial version of don't count your, you know, chickens before they hatch um don't don't count your sexy threesome to all three of us are here yeah but um yeah i mean you know and it would depend on you know whether or not you wanted to write that whether or not his wife would actually come out of the crystal but i think it would be a very interesting moment for them to adjust to is whether or not she's whether or not that child is coming out has two parents or one biologically speaking now I would I do I am only planning on writing somebody mentioned they thought I was only planning on writing 50k for November I am only planning on writing 50k for November <laughs> I would never not only would I not approach this idea for November anyway but I wouldn't approach this idea with this little amount of time to plot it and also this is not the kind of project you write in public because I mean honestly when you, when you look at something of this scope you can make a decision in like the first two chapters of book one that in the in the last chapter of book six or maybe book three doesn't work. And so if, if you zero draft your first book and you write your first book and then you sit down and you zero draft your second two books, but they're not written yet, but something happens in your book three that makes something that happened to book two really problematic you're, you're going to change it, right? But if you've written this in public and it's available on your website, your readers are going to be like, well, what happened to this? I remember this. What happened to this? And if you don't believe me, I once removed a sentence from Sentinels of Atlantis and 15 people commented on, on that missing sentence in a week afterwards. The week afterwards. Yeah. It's just... It, uh, but uh, all, of all things, even if I got the whole thing tightly plotted, I don't have the time to plot an epic series this is not an epic novel it's an epic series and i don't have the time to plot it in 25 days it just besides she already has a really awesome idea for november yes. which she's already draft zero drafted and um made banner art for 
I did my project file and everything. Um, Speaking of which, I used that privilege for people who have, who have signed up. I have not done that yet. Um, Anyways, I think this people- podcast is going long enough, um, but we did basically plot three books. So... <laughs> Or at least the meat. We got the meat of three books here, probably. Yeah, we got we got the we got at least the you know the the idea and and the we got the central idea and the and most of the thematic elements mm-hmm. hammered out, which is kind of what we do in a plot drift. You know, it's not like full on plotting because that's so that much change anyway. That well, it's honestly honestly that's better in the conversations anywhere anywhere where we anyway where we can actually take long pauses to think and then just edit them out and long pauses live on air. It happens sometimes anyway, but we actually try not to do them in the shows with other people listening because y'all would all think we had gone into a coma. And um, yeah, because there was like one time in, a, in one of the conversations, we, we were both silent for almost 10 minutes and neither one of us had to go pee. Yeah. Because <laughs> sometimes you're just like pondering like, hmm, 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 hmm. Hmm. There were actually several big pauses in shifts when we, we when we did the shifts because like I would throw something out really weird because I've never actually watched the show and she'd be like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> she's trying what... to make what I fit into what she was doing. Yeah, I was thinking I'm like, hmm, maybe. Well, and sometimes you just kind of gotta like throw your preconceived notions out the door. And sometimes you gotta decide if you can throw your preconceived notions out the door. And sometimes you gotta go, well, was that fanon or canon? You know, what is it? It does it matter if it's fanon or canon? You know, and so there's just like there's just thinking. There's sometimes there's just thinking that needs to be done. Yeah, because sometimes fanon doesn't interfere with a canon divergence because it fits in and it, do- it isn't contradictory to what is in canon. But sometimes fanon is so outside of canon like for instance the, the sentinel and god are known trope and the whole center thing and the prides and the alpha primes all of that is so fanon that you could not put that in the canon divergence yeah and even just the whole concept of, you know even if it's just guides right i mean you'd have to do something like if you wanted to just do the whole full-on concept of guides and a canon divergence that is sentinel you'd have to have like Blair having an awakening. He couldn't have that, those abilities already because he didn't have them in the show. Right. So, um, but um, let's end the podcast here. And if you guys have questions about November, I can answer them after I go to the ladies room. Um, <laughs> I said ladies room after <laughs> like, it's only my bathroom. Only I use it. It's the ladies room. It's, um, it's so, like on, uh, on your floor. It's, it's just the, that's my shit. Anyways, I'll be back in a few minutes. Um, I hope this podcast was very entertaining and you guys got some stuff out of it. Um, say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>